VOCM presents Open Line. The opinions expressed on this show are not necessarily those of the station. And now your host, Patty Daly. Well, it's Tim Powers again. Patty is on vacation back next week, having a well-deserved break. And what a time to have it. It's, it's tough out there, as we've talked about on the show. Before we get into all of that, God, I love the word tangly. Nobody up on the mainland uses the word tangly. And when Jerry Lynn uttered it there a few minutes ago, I think it's a great word to describe what we may get a little bit here today on VOCM's Open Line. And what we often get on VOCM's Open Line, a little bit tangly. Jerry Lynn will also be happy to know that, yes, the sun is shining in Newfoundland and Labrador, which always reminds us of what a great province we live in and why we like to live there. We forget about the rain. We forget about the fog. We forget about the snow because sun is the great elixir that intoxicates us to love our province even more. In Ontario, it's raining and overcast. It's role reversal here today in uh, in Ottawa, and I'm sure none of you are weeping for me. I, I won't bother to send the tissues on the next flight down. Anyway, that flight again. Delayed and it take forever to get there, as we know. Let's start with some really encouraging things. I have to say, I was uh, watching uh, the television news last night, and there was this great story at the end of uh, of the National CBC, the, the National. Give them credit, and it was about the Paradise Soccer League and the kids, and what had happened to them was they'd. Uh, won or gotten the opportunity to have the Vancouver Whitecaps from the MLS, Major League Soccer, come and, and run a training session for them. And looking at the video of the kids running around, so many of them, well over 100, and well done, Paradise, for getting them to do this, and well done, Whitecaps, for participating. But just seeing those smiling faces, seeing all of these kids who, you know, over the last couple of years, like everybody else, have had it hard and tough and have not had the regular sporting opportunities to run around, to learn some new soccer skills, and listening to some of the kids being interviewed afterwards and how awesome it was for them it was just uplifting and it, it it is just great to see that again i firmly believe and i'll go on this in a bit more in a second firmly believe sport is so much more important now in bringing communities together particularly in the societies in which we live where there's we're dealing with a lot of, of challenge in our lives we're dealing with a lot of people feeling angry and dislocated. We're dealing with a lot of people having trouble making ends meet. And unfortunately, some of their kids, let's acknowledge, can't get into sports leagues, but there are lots of thankfully support elements from different sports organizations to, to do that. I watched that video, and, and, and after that, or before that, I should say, my son and I, Patrick, uh, really proud of him last night. He and all the other kids did what's called the farm run up around here, up around the Central Experimental Farm, looking at their little faces, looking how excited, uh, how excited they were to be running and with each other and just doing innocent things, pushing themselves but enjoying themselves and sitting and talking everywhere. It was just, just uplifting. And again, in these tough times got to remember that really proud of Patrick too he uh he took a minute off his time he just worked really hard well done Paj I know you're listening now your dad's proud of you but I wouldn't care if he added another minute to your time you had fun your friends had fun it meant something which leads me to Hockey Canada and let's talk about them for a moment and the power of sport 
Not sure if, if you're aware, but about an hour and a half ago, Hockey Canada, who's been under significant scrutiny, receiving a ton of criticism for the way they managed or didn't manage uh, sexual assault allegations in 2018 involving a number of players uh, from the 2018 national junior team. Hockey Canada, in response to that, among other things they have tried to do, today, this morning, issued an open letter to Canadians. Why do we want to focus on this for a moment? Well, first of all, Patty would also likely focus on this, given we talk a lot about hockey and open line. It was only last week, and over the last number of weeks, we've been cheering on Alex Newhook, a product of Hockey Canada, Dawson Mercer, a product of Hockey Canada, celebrating Newfoundlanders getting drafted. Hockey is so much into our fabric. It is the ultimate Canadian community gathering tool and it provides so much positive for people. So when allegations came to the fore and stories were reported about what happened in 2018, how it was managed and the like, it upset a lot of people. So Hockey Canada, rightly so, Hockey Canada today issued an open letter to Canadians. Just let me give you a few excerpts from it. Starts with Hockey Canada understands that trust is earned, not given. For decades, we have worked to earn your trust. You have rewarded those efforts by allowing us to provide positive hockey experiences to generations of Canadians from coast to coast to coast. We have heard from Canadians, players, their families, fans and sponsors, and those impacted by what occurred in 2018. We know how angry and disappointed, sorry, we know you are angry and disappointed in Hockey Canada, rightfully so. We know we have not done enough to address the actions of some members of the 2018 national junior team or to end the culture of toxic behavior within our game for that we are unreservedly we unreservedly apologize we know we need to do more to address the behaviors on and off the ice the conflict with what canadians want hockey to be and which undermine the many good things the game brings to us to our country that is why we are taking the following steps i won't go through them all other than to say they are reopening the investigation into the sexual assault perpetrated by members of the 2018 national junior team. They're going to require all high performance players and coaches and team staff and volunteers to participate in sexual violence and consent training. They're going to conduct a review. You can read all of this. I highlighted it because as we talk about government institutions under threat and the role they play in our society, here is our leading national sports organization, an organization that has done a lot of good, now rightly being challenged and trying to respond. <clears throat> Some will say that letter is too late. It may be, it may not be. Ultimately, it is the actions that are taken, how quickly that they're implemented, and the impact those actions have that matter. But let's hope Hockey Canada and every other sports organization learns and gets it right. It matters so much right now. Sport is still the one place where people with varied political views, views on to vax or not to vax, views on freedom or oppression, views on extremism or not, still come together and where people get to bond and learn. I can't emphasize enough what sport has done for me and the relationships that I've built, the learning 
learning that I've had, the skills that it's given me. We need Hockey Canada to repair itself. We need all sports to make sure they continue to play that vital role. Last quick thing I'd say on that, because I know we have so many other important issues to get to. I know Tom Rennie. I've been fortunate to, to do some work with Tom Rennie and Scott Smith, the president, current CEO of Hockey Canada. Tom is the past. They are quality people. Uh, I know they know they have aired. I know they know they need to be accountable. I will give them the benefit of the doubt because I believe they know what they're doing. And I will say this as a minor hockey coach, very minor, just the initiation program. I have found what Hockey Canada does at the introductory level to train coaches, to train volunteers, to make them aware of all of the societal change and appropriate behaviors that everybody may not know. To educate people about that is is world class. The Sheldon Kennedy's Respect Program, all very good. I'm not defending what they did in 2018. I'm hoping and praying Hockey Canada gets its bearings back and gets earns back the trust and credibility of the country. We need them to work. Speaking of working, boy, it's getting tough out there. You heard Brian talk about gas prices in the province, up by 6.1%. You heard Brian talk about food, uh, food prices likely to go up across the board uh, in uh, in September. We know milk, according to um, some reports that have come forward from the Canadian Dairy Commission, wholesalers, those who sell products to stores, now saying they're going to have to charge 2.5% more. Uh, come September 1st. You can be damn sure that will be passed on to you, the consumer. You uh, can be sure that uh, vegetables, which are already up 10%, are probably going to be more expensive. Sylvain Charlebault, a well-respected professor from Dalhousie, the so-called food professor, has said all of this, our food inflation, which is at 9.7%, could go way up to 10%. We've got uh, attacks on sugary drinks coming forward in Newfoundland and Labrador, and while the intention of that is good, that's going to impact people. We have got, as of yesterday, uh, if you own a veritable veritable mortgage, you're going to pay more. If you have a home equity line of credit, you're going to be paying more. If you have credit cards, you're going to be paying more uh, because the Bank of Canada yesterday raised its rate, the biggest single rate raise since 1998, by 1%. That is going to impact a lot of people. They did it because that's what the textbook says about how you manage inflation. And it may be the right move, but in the short term, if you're going to the gas pump today, if you're going to the grocery store, if you're going, if you're making a mortgage payment in the next few days when that kicks in, you aren't going to be too sure about that. It's tough. It's expensive. There's an Angus Reid poll out today. Uh, Wally Lehman, I thank Wally for showcasing that for me today. It's actually from June 13th, but uh, so before some of the seeds of this were set in, that show in Newfoundland and Labrador, the Liberal government has fallen off by about 10% and are trailing the PCs. Now, uh, I don't want to, the Angus Reid reputable organization, the sample size is, is very small. All I would say about that is that I think it does reflect, if it is anywhere near accurate, um, that there is discontent in the land and governments, whether they can do anything about it or not, where that discontent. I want to hear about how you're feeling today. How are you going to manage? What are you going to do? What relief would you like to see? Do you believe any relief is possible? Or are we going to hang on by our our fingernails? I think of Brian Tobin and the tiny turbot in New York. Are we that tiny turbot in the net hanging on for our, our dear life as we get swallowed up by the factory freezer trawler that is inflation? 
that is hitting every sector around us. You want to talk about that? Please do. I know you likely want to talk about this, and I welcome calls. Dr. Fitzgerald, of course, came out yesterday to give an update. Uh, She talked about how the new variant, BA5, is evident in the province. Um, She encouraged people, didn't mandate, uh, encouraged people to wear masks as as a good line of defense. She noted that as of next Wednesday, Booster shots are going to be available for people 50 years of age and older. She made the point of saying that that booster shot serves as protection, not prevention. And any of us who've been boosted and others who've gotten sick being boosted know that. Still worth taking in my view. But she did, as other medical officers of health have done across the country in the last day or so, say um, you may want to wait to the fall if you're less at risk for potentially, potentially, new um new vaccines that could have a better impact in guarding against these variants and that's a lot of that's a lot for people to weigh on uh to think about um in ontario dr moore said yesterday people over the age of 18 uh, can receive booster shots starting today ontario may have a, a different supply he also offered the same caution that uh that uh, dr fitzgerald did some may want to wait to the fall so this again i understand what the physicians are doing but this will cause some confusion you had uh, minister de the health minister in st john's yesterday saying everybody should get a booster uh, or a fourth shot or wherever you are in the cycle uh, get get what you need how are you weighing all this information being thrown at you? Are you going to get a booster? Are you going to wait till the fall? Are you concerned? Are you worried? Again, the politicians, knowing the political sensitivity around all of this, from what I saw yesterday, other than Minister DeClos, and he's not responsible for administering health care in any province, so it's easy for him to offer counsel, um, stayed away from, from these announcements. What do you think about all of that? Where are you? Are you going to boost, not boost? Um, I don't think we're going to hear much about mandatory of anything. Not that the boosters were, the shots were ever mandatory. They were not. There were certainly regulations that came in that if you wanted to participate in things, you needed to have the shots. If you wanted to travel, you needed to have the shots. What are you thinking about all of that? Also, what are you thinking about our health care system? You heard Minister Osborne on earlier today being interviewed, talking about, you know, he's open to the foreign uh, recruitment of, of doctors and addressing doctor shortages. And we talked with, um, with the Ukrainian doctor yesterday. Uh, you heard her story about the challenges she's having, the time she might have to wait. We talked about what's happening in Nova Scotia. Do we have a plan that's going to come forward to accredit foreign doctors more quickly? Uh, And if we don't have a plan, why don't we? And why does it take so long to accredit these foreign doctors? Hoping to talk to the premier later today, potentially Minister Osborne. I will ask that uh, that very question as we move through all of this and try to figure it out. Last thing on waiting times. If you haven't seen this story, because it happened in New Brunswick, you may not, I encourage you to check it out. You will find it on any of the national news platforms. There was a death, yes, a death in an emergency room in uh, <clears throat> Fredericton yesterday. And it wasn't because somebody had come in and was having chest pains and suddenly they had a massive heart attack as they were being treated. No, it was an individual 
who was in a wheelchair, who had gone to the, was waiting in a wheelchair, who had gone to the Fredericton emergency uh, and was waiting to be treated. It's uncertain what that individual was to be treated with, but it didn't appear based on the evidence that has been provided that it was an, an issue that was diagnosed as requiring immediate assistance. Um, at one point, a patient, uh, somebody who's there with another patient, saw this person in the chair and they looked asleep. A few minutes later, according to the eyewitness, witness account a nurse came by just to check on this person and all of a sudden walked out quickly again this is the evidence that's been reported came out took the person in cold blue the person had died um, the hospital in Fredericton's apologized, but this is going to bring more scrutiny on the state of waiting, the state of emergency room care, uh, the, the the crisis that is that is healthcare across this country, not just in Newfoundland and Labrador. You want to talk about that? You want to get some answers again? Money's great, but is that going to put more doctors in the emergency room tomorrow in the next six months? Uh, I know we need the money, but how do we make? Th- improvements more quickly because it does seem the time is of the essence all right time for our first break on vocm open line see that the text board is lighting up i will be taking your calls when we come back welcome back to open line tim powers here just a reminder you want to get me uh on twitter at powers tim and on the old old snail mail i guess it is now email open line at vocm.com uh got a gentleman i always love talking to dave callahan wants to talk about our uh, doctor who was on yesterday that can't get work dave how are you this morning not too bad at all. How are you this morning, Jim? I'm good. Last time we were talking, when I was on, it was about all that was going on with labor and uh, in Grand Falls, Windsor. I assume that's all got sorted, has it? It's uh, like everything else. I guess it's kind of gotten through a grainy assortment, and hopefully, <laughs> hopefully, trying to uh, to get to to get to a, a point of normalcy. Uh, kind of the reason that I've uh, got this topic this morning because. I'm not going to really go out and uh, point fingers at anybody or say why this situation actually exists, but it does exist. And uh, I know one thing for sure. Your alarm's going off there. Yeah, and that's my phone, actually. (laughs) That's (laughs) my cell phone. (laughs) Uh, It exists, and it needs to be changed. And the revelation that was made yesterday that this Ukrainian doctor, Mm -hmm. eight years of experience, that could easily get accredited and, and go to work elsewhere in Canada can't do so in Newfoundland. And this is not something new that we haven't known. We've we've been told this when there was review of the recruitment and the retention process province-wide. And it's something that's been on the table for a long time. Now, naturally, everybody understands there's got to be a process of accreditation where you get qualified people, you know they're qualified, and then you allow them to enter the system. Well, it's my opinion, and I think a lot of people's opinion, that if this is the case where this Ukrainian doctor who we showed enough interest to get them to relocate from Ukraine to come to another country, that they should be given the same opportunity in this country in Newfoundland as they would have anywhere else in the rest of the country. 
Yeah, and I think that, that's com- we're we're in a different state when we are we are in a different state now than we were years ago when a lot of these um, guidances and requirements were put in, right? Yeah. Uh, and we have to adjust to that. Other provinces are. I mean, why are we recruiting people and encouraging people to move to Canada and move to Newfoundland and Labrador in particular from the Ukraine if we can't put them to work? Lord knows we need to put them to work. And we beggars can't be choosers. Right? Now, like, I mean, if there's a slight difference in the accreditation or let's say the way that certain processes were taught and the way they learned and gained their doctor's uh, degrees elsewhere in the world, maybe it's just different. It doesn't mean that it's any less effective or these doctors are any less effective or any less trained. What what it does mean right now, I think, is we should bloody well get in line with the rest of Canada and at least not have that hurdle place before us. I mean, it's tough enough to find doctors, physicians globally right now is what we're being told. But then again, that seems to be the buzzword for everything that goes on today. Well, it's not only just here. Well, I don't care if it's only just here, not just here. Fix it here. But now we have a physician as our premier. Mm-hmm. We just had a physician as the minister of health. We've got a great fellow there now, Mr. Osborne. I would suggest to you that on this revelation of where we are now, it's as it, if there was a good enough reason to reconvene the House and call them back to change electoral processes, then I think they should be giving up their summer vacations right now. And they should reconvene the House and put legislation in place that allows us to not lose one more doctor for that simple reason, that they could easily move on elsewhere and not go through the process and be accepted in other provinces. Totally agree. And, and the doctor we're talking about, just so that the person is named, is, and she was happy to be named, is Dr. Sagorska, Dr. Sagorska, who spoke very eloquently uh, eloquently yesterday about uh, her challenges. I, look, I think there, there, there is a requirement that we want to test doctors. That's what Nova Scotia does, but they do it more effectively, and then they give them a temporary license. I mean, there's all kinds of ways smart people, or not even so smart people, can solve this problem to make sure that, yes, the, the person has the right credentials and has the right skills while at the same time getting them on the front lines of health care more quickly than we are doing right now. Yes, I mean, we do not have the option of time. We're at a desperate time in our health care delivery here. I mean, we've got closures of emergency rooms and this type of thing and rotational emergency room closures because of a lack of physicians. Well, I would kind of put that as priority one right now. And Premier Fury, um, you're no dummy. You know that this can be fixed with a simple return to the House, a piece of legislation put in place, and this can be fixed. If it protected anybody or if it was for any useful reason years ago, the only ones that this could have protected were entrenched and localized doctors. This does not serve to protect the system or you or me. All right, got to leave it there, Dave. A lot of common sense. Uh, as I say, hoping to talk to the Premier later today, so we'll see what he's thinking about this. Thanks for the call. Yep, thank you very much, Premier Fury. Call the House back and get this legislation changed and start putting some doctors in our local towns and in our major centers. We need them. 
Okay. Thanks, Dave. Thanks, All man. right, now going to go to line two, talk to Daryl. He wants to talk about the, the very hot topics and depressing topics of the rise of the interest rates and the cost of fuel. Morning, Daryl. Uh, good morning, Tim. Again, thanks for having me on your show, and you're doing a good job as usual. Keep up the great work. Thank you. That's no. probably the nicest thing we can say now because we've got to go into the depressing topics of how much <laughs> things cost. <laughs> Unfortunately, we got we got to address uh, some depressing issues, but uh, hopefully, uh, when we address when we do address uh, depressing issues, hopefully we could uh, bring it to uh, a positive. Hopefully, <laughs> but uh, Tim, what I want to talk about today is the rising interest rates. Uh, I've been listening to economists, and we're going up another 1%. And I'll, I'll sum up something at first here. I listened to one uh, business person, and uh, because of this 1%, it's costing the business an extra $35,000. So that's just the business alone. Mm-hmm. But where they're not getting where they're not getting it right is okay i know the bank of canada is uh going to the bank saying don't invest in or lend no more money to the oil sector or energy sector or whatever the case may be but the the thing is they're they're up in interest rates and it looks like it's going to keep going up and up and up and uh, we're heading for a recession or we're probably in one now slash retraction but to bring down the rate of inflation it's not going to up the interest rates because interest rates is going to cause collateral damage. Mm-hmm. It's going to put more people in hard times, and it's going to further damage the economy. What will bring down the rate of inflation is the cost of fuel and energy because everything is going up and up due to costs, and this is where they're not getting it right. So the, if the cost of fuel, energy, whatever, don't come down, then the rate of inflation is not going to come down. It's going to keep going up and up. So uh, what they're doing is they got to focus on the, the cost of energy, bring it down to bring down rate inflation, not up the interest rates, because all you're going to do is cripple the economy more and more and more. And we're going, we're going to be into another – we're into a pandemic now, and it's a financial one. So what they're doing now, uh, they're, they're, they're doing more harm than good. So I think they're going to have to take a really good hard look at how they're doing things, because we're heading for broke you know what I mean? Yeah, and it's interesting. Again, we don't want to get too into the weeds on monetary policy of the bank, but they they are trying to what they call bring us towards a soft landing, which means ensuring that uh, ensuring that uh, we don't have long term high interest rates and we don't go into a recession. What, and even Governor Macklin admitted this yesterday. What they're trying to do now with this heavy increase of of 100 points or one percentage point uh, is to slow down people's buying habits and try to keep things in in check. But this has been tried twice, I believe, in the previous 60 or 70 years, and it didn't work. I get that they have to try it, but but there's not a whole lot of certainty that it will work. I got to give you about one more minute there, Daryl, and then we got to go. No, no, not a problem. But, but they're they're trying to cushion for a soft landing. But yes. the, the way they're doing it's not going to be a soft landing. It's going to be a crash. And this is where they better start looking at things. So you want inflation to come down? 
the cost of fuel energy got to come down up in interest rates and it's not going to bring down the rate of inflation uh, so this is where they're going to have to take a good hard look at it as a matter of fact if you can tim i would get dan mateg on your show uh, yeah we're trying to get dan he, i know dan we're trying to get dan on later this he, morning he, or tomorrow. He, he's fantastic and and another thing is we got pipelines we're shutting down pipelines not opening but to, to get things going again we got to people don't want to hear this but we got to open up pipelines get things flowing and that's what's going to jumpstart the economy and i'll uh, leave it at yeah. that all right we'll leave it there daryl thank you for your call and again thanks for having me on your show tim and all the best to you and vocm and your listening audience take care and stay safe all right uh, nice message time for a break here on vocm's open line when we come back and this is linked to the what people are going through now uh alcohol use, substance abuse, binge drinking. We're going to talk to Dr. John Weber of Memorial University School of Pharmacy. We're going to talk about the provincial action plan and some alcohol action plan and some work he's done looking at binge drinking. Back with Dr. Weber right after the break here on Open Line. Weekdays on VOCM. It's Open Line with your host, Patty Daly. Join the conversation each morning from 9 a.m. to noon on your VOCM. We get people talking. Welcome back to Open Line. We're going to talk about alcohol abuse, binge drinking, other forms of abuse right now, and, and the impact they have on you uh, physically, mentally, and the like. Uh, and also have a quick look at the Provincial Alcohol Action Plan. And it's important to do this right now. Important to do it all the time. But in, in the circumstances in which we live right now, where there's so much difficulty in the world, there's a lot of data to suggest people are turning to alcohol and other substances, as you may expect them to do to cope with uh, the struggles that they're having, to cope with everyday life. To help us do that is uh, Dr. John Weber uh, from Memorial University School of Pharmacology. Um, he, one of his areas of interest in trusts is uh, is certainly um, so, uh, is alcohol and substance abuse and how it impacts the brain. Uh, Dr. Weber, how are you today? I'm doing well. How are you? Uh, good. I just want to put this out there for the audience so I don't come across as a hypocrite as I start to ask you questions. I am somebody who has struggled in the past and occasionally still does with, with binge drinking. Uh, and uh, the juxtaposition of that is I'm also involved in owning a, uh, a brewery up here in, in Ontario. So I live a very challenged world in this particular space. Um, Dr. Weber, tell us first, just to, to situate us, a little bit about the work that you have done uh, as it relates to alcohol abuse and binge drinking. I know you've written a paper, at least one, looking at how rats reacted to binge drinking. Give us some background, some context, please, on your experience. Yeah, I've been studying that area for over a decade, closer to 15 years now, primarily aimed at, you know, what effect does binge drinking have more in the adolescent or young adult population uh, mm -hmm. using animal models? So, and looking at long-term effects. So, in, you know, when you're doing animal models, that could be over the course of several months. But what it translates to is um, long-term, maybe over the course of years, and even potentially permanent damage to the brain. Mm -hmm. And what we've, what we've seen in general is that um, binge drinking episodes. So, I should probably define that first. So, binge drinking yes, please is defined as yeah, in 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 men or to say males, uh, five drinks or in females, four drinks in a given episode of drinking. Um, and what we saw in our model, we had a bit higher levels than that, probably about six to eight drinks per episode. That could lead to long-term brain damage um, that never recovered, so even some cell death, for example. 
and um, also drink equivalents. I think people should be aware of that because what mm-hmm. what they are is a standard, like a standard bottle of beer, a uh, uh, twelve ounce or, or roughly about three hundred forty one milliliters, five percent beer, a five ounce or one hundred fifty milliliter glass of twelve percent wine, or one and a half ounces of liquor, and that would be like you know your typical forty percent alcohol by volume drinks such as rum or gin. Those are drink equivalents. So I think. You know, the, the guidelines are that a binge drinking would be five or four or five drinks in an episode. But I think, you know, it's pretty easy to go over that. And I think a lot of people lose track, for example, if they're having a pint of beer. That's that's more than one drink equivalent. So that's the research I've been doing for many years. And I've kept up to date on how binge drinking can affect, um, you know, various stages of life and particularly um, the adverse effects on the brain. And let's just give some more data so people understand it, and you can correct me where I'm wrong here, but I believe there was some new data released last week. I forget from whom, uh, but it's in line with previous data, which says uh, binge drinking tends to be more common among males, particularly uh, males in their 20s to mid-30s. They tend to be more affluent, um, and the the consequences can be varied, uh, as you well know better than I, from all manner of health uh, health impacts. That's generally accurate, is it not? It is, yeah, that is typically correct. In the 20s and 30 age range is um, more prevalent and starts to decrease with age after that and definitely much, uh, say, more prevalent in men versus women. Right, uh, let, let's start with the individual. Um, do you, what are, you, you would also know this, what are kind of other social determinants that um, lead to people binge drinking? So a lot of it, I mean, a lot of it is is peer pressure, um, when, especially when, you know, obviously people are starting young, and that is one of the big determinants, but um, also like socioeconomic as well, you know, what an individual has experienced earlier in life, like if they've had any, you know, tr- trauma they've had to deal with, that will increase the potential of someone um, binge drinking. So there's a lot of different social economic aspects that, that do come into play. Um also, things like, I mean, and this is part of the provincial action plan, too, is like mm-hmm. the cost of alcohol. Um, a lot of evidence has shown is if you increase the cost, that can decrease consumption, um, hit people in the pocketbooks. That works for things like, uh, or has worked in the past for tobacco as well. Mm-hmm. And then, but, you know, that can lead to other problems because then individuals may seek out alcohol through other means, Um like, you know, individuals maybe distilling alcohol legally, things like mm-hmm. that. So it's, a, it's very complex. But um, I think a lot of it is really just due to peer pressure and also seeing, you know, what your what your parents and other relatives have done. You may think it's okay to drink if you see them drinking and, and getting impaired, et cetera. Well, well, let's go to the elephant in the room, and we'll come back to the the provincial plan. We celebrate, and hey, listen, I've been a celebrant. I again, I call me hypocrite. We celebrate our drinking culture in Newfoundland and Labrador. We bring people to Newfoundland and Labrador. I was on a tour boat last week; it was wonderful. What do we do when they're going off the tour boat? We offer to screech them in. Again, I have no issue with all of that, but how do we manage that? How how does our culture of drinking, and it does encourage um, uh, moderation, but very few people that I know, and maybe it's my friend group, uh, adhere to the moderation. How do we manage all of that drinking culture in Newfoundland, and how, how what are you seeing as a consequence of that in the, in the work you're doing here in the province? That is a very good point, because marketing is a very big issue. The way that alcohol is marketed can increase or decrease alcohol consumption. 
And, you know, I've been, I've been here for over 15 years, and that's one of the first things I've noticed. And I, I partake in binge drinking as well. I'm not going to hide that fact. Mm-hmm. But it's difficult. It, as you said, it's a difficult balance. Like, do we not want to offer people a little bit of rum when they're getting screeched in? I don't think we're going to change something like that. But there are certain types of marketing that, you know, things like two-for-one drinks, things like that. Is that really necessary? That, that would promote drinking. Things like, and, you know, sometimes it's hard to say this, happy hour. If you have happy hour prices, that can increase drinking. What people do is like at the getting close to the end of happy hour, they might add or order a couple more drinks at that time. So those are all factors. And we're gathering more information on this year by year, of course. So that is um, it, that's part of the fabric here. I realize that. And even though we have this culture of drinking here in Newfoundland and Labrador, if you look across the board at other provinces in Canada, the amount we pers- or that we um, imbibe Per capita, we are certainly at the, the highest level, um, but like Alberta ingests the same amount of alcohol as us per capita, for example, every year, and Canada throughout the board is very similar. So it's not just here. So we have to look at mar- what we're doing now. Some of the new research is um, looking at marketing throughout the different provinces um, in Canada and the territories, I should say, too. Yeah, I, I, let, let's not just damn Newfoundland alone. Uh, what, what's going on in Calgary? The Calgary Stampede is more than just watching the cows in the horse races. I can tell you again from being there, it's a big, as we would describe it, a big drunk for a number of days. Uh, we got about two or three minutes, um, Dr. Weber. Just your take on the plan overall, the provincial alcohol plan. Is it good? Is it do, does it hit the right tone? And is enough of it being enacted? So I do think it hits all the major points so things like prevention and promotion so promoting you know what is healthy living how many drinks are healthy versus not um high-risk drinking obviously things like making sure you're not drinking one um, when you're pregnant for example and um, but also very important things like stigma um as you point out there you know we do have this drinking culture here in newfoundland and labrador but there are a lot of people that drink because just as an example they had childhood trauma Mm -hmm. and you shouldn't be stigmatizing people if that's how they're dealing with it so i think it hits on those really well as far as treatment it does say things like you know trying to get you know educate healthcare providers um to screen individuals for for alcohol etc and um even treating like like even having like using regional opioid dependence treatment centers and then treating individuals for alcohol there as well. I think these are all really good points and very important. Um, with those points, though, I wonder how well they're going to be enacted because they really haven't been yet. Because, I mean, we obviously, and I heard some of the, you know, the calls earlier on the show, we have a very big problem with our healthcare system already, the lack of physicians, et cetera. And I don't know if we can realistically address some of these issues pragmatically given our, the state of our healthcare system right now but i think and of course with a new minister we'll see how it unrolls but um I it's funny think- on the healthcare. I, I just wanted that you make an excellent point there i remember the first time i went to get some treatment uh for alcohol for for binge drinking and this is 25, 30 years ago, so admittedly uh, the, the, the skill set and practices weren't there, I was given meditation tapes. That didn't do very much for me. And that's not to criticize the practitioner. It's just I don't, I don't think they kind of had the skill set to deal with it. And I know we have shortages of psychologists in Newfoundland. We have shortages of trained physicians, so I take that point. I, I, and I didn't mean to cut you off there, but I, I do got to go in a minute. Last last question for you. Yep. And I, I started with it, but I'd like your take on it. How has... COVID 
truly impacted, you know, the substance abuse in Newfoundland and Labrador that you can speak about? And and what what has it done to our challenges with alcohol and substance abuse? What's the impact been? Ooh, that's a good point. That's what I want to kind of end on because we're doing some studies on that now as we're gathering data. So overall throughout um, Canada, uh, alcohol consumption did increase during the pandemic. I think that's understandable. Here in Newfoundland and Labrador, it was estimated that it increased about 15 to 16% during that first full year of the pandemic. So anytime there's that increase in alcohol consumption, you're going to have potential increased risk of uh, problems, uh, health-related problems with it. But now, as we're coming out, I mean, I know we're still in the pandemic, and as we're dealing with these issues, we're going to collect data on, you know, was it the availability? Was it, you know, having alcohol labeled as essential? Was that an issue? Um, having, um, you know, like takeaway alcohol from restaurants and stuff, did that, any of this play a role in increasing consumption? And how will we adjust back to what are, you know, somewhat normal times? Will we have to make alcohol less available? Will we have to increase price? Or will alcohol consumption in general go down again because maybe some of the stress is alleviated as as we get out of the pandemic? Well, so hopefully think- more data within the year. Okay, and we look forward to that. Thank you for your, uh, for the time today, the important work that you're doing. Uh, we all need to learn more, and we all need to continually work on ourselves and our challenges that come with uh, with binge drinking. Thanks, Dr. Weber. Okay, thanks for having me. Take care. That was Dr. John Weber from the School of Pharmacology at Memorial University. I'm going to go listen to those relaxation tapes now. Oh, yeah. Imagine telling a a, a hyperactive, testosterone-filled, aggressive teenage boy, yeah, listen to the waves, man. That'll make you better. And again, I don't fault the doctor, but the techniques in the day were primitive. Let me turn on the waves. You listen to a commercial. Back with you shortly. Welcome back. Going right to the lines. We're going to talk to Dan, Don. Sorry, Don. I apologize. Don, Dan. They call me Tim, Tom. Don in Stephenville. Don's to talk about health care. How are you, Don? Don't worry about that, my friend. I've been called a lot worse. <laughs> <laughs> and you can be assured, so have I. Tell me what's All on right. your mind. This time we'll talk about health care. Okay. I don't know what health care, but... Um, <laughs> Now, first of all, first thing I want to ask about the Canadian and the elementers across this country. What's going on with the overdose crisis? What did that start and how did that happen? Do you know? You mean fentanyl, particularly on the uh, streets? yeah, yeah, the street. I, I, well, I, I, it's certainly not been solved. Uh, it's gotten a little bit quieter. I know there's been efforts to decriminalize the drug to, uh, in, in an effort uh, to help um, people uh, feel right. that they can get treatment without being jailed. I think there's been more money spent, but I don't know how significantly it's brought down the numbers, particularly in British Columbia. That I would have to look up for you. Okay, well, you don't have to look this up because this crisis come because of else Canada. They let a drug into this country. It's a paper for falsified. They started giving us pills. They were supposed to be non-addictive. We got addicted to them. Then they started dropping them off on us, taking them away from us, and then we went to the streets. That's the fact. That's the only fact. Well, I, 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 certainly it's a strong drug. I don't. I, I can't verify. I will look to what you're saying about the drug being improperly approved and, and the like. It was but there's no by Purdue well, of the United States, eight billion dollar lawsuit. Well, I, I will check that out. Thank you for for giving the context to it. But I will not dispute the impact. I certainly opioids uh, have had a pronounced impact on the state of uh, people in this country. 
That's right. And now they're talking about trying to reduce opioids more and more again. So that's that's the basic fact. It was Purdue falsified papers to the Canadian Health or FDA, whatever you want to call it. Well, okay. that's There's two different the news, things. So. There are FDAs in the United States, but the Canadian Drug Approval Board. Okay, go, yeah, go ahead. CDA Sorry, I just whatever. I'm only interrupting you because it's important that we be as factual as we can. You go ahead. I uh, am factual. Well, I, I have to test your facts, Don. If you'll appreciate that, part of my job. Go ahead. Now, Keep going. What What's Fury doing up in 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 this conference, looking for more money for the healthcare system? Well, you'd have to ask him that, but my I guess. Know. That's, my my, that's my guess would be, as it is that every other premier is looking for more money, I mean, they, they need more money to hire doctors to provide services and the like, but you don't think that's the right approach, I'm guessing. No, I don't. Number number one is, uh, why didn't do a virtual meeting? You got virtual doctors now. <laughs> Save us some money on them planes and all that. Number one, that's healthcare money. Number two, the collaborative care clinics in St. John's, it uh, seems like uh, Dr. Agee had no problem putting doctors in there. So where did they come from? He said they were supposed to be all new, but no, he recruited them from other areas of our population. That now that's true. So tell me where you are. What's what's the service like I'm in there? Stevenville. Yeah, no, no, I know you're in Stephenville, but where you are in Stephenville, can you see a physician if you want to? Is it difficult? Give me the, the lay of the land Yeah, out there. it is difficult. they got nurse practitioners there now. they got Thanks. their clinics. But in order for me to go there, i got to pay $30 for a visit. If I want a prescription, i got to pay 35 cash, and I don't have that money. And half the prescription, they can't pres- prescribe for me. So i got to go back to the emergency room. And that's a fact. Nurse practitioners cannot uh, cannot give me a prescription, say, for if I'm taking an opioid. They cannot do that. And you, you've you've twice you've you've acknowledged it, so I assume you won't mind me asking how how long have you been taking opioids to address whatever it is you're dealing with? No, two pills I deal with. The opioids are gone from me now. Okay, you did, but you First, did. First, when use... they took them off, I didn't go to the street. Okay. I went to the bottle. But I'm yeah. calming that down, too. Uh, good okay. for you. That's not easy, man. That's not easy. I know it's not easy. It wasn't easy on them drugs, either. Yep, no. It's supposed to be a non-addictive drug to start with. And the second thing is, you know what? I had my leg amputated. And the, the, the four... Oh, my God. What do you call them? Like Western Memorial, Eastern, uh, these boards. It's too much bureaucratic in this system. I, I, I had to go to Cornerbrook there a couple of weeks ago because my leg was cut off, and I had more, another mobility issue. My other leg might have to go. Eastern L tells me, I'm to go to the doctor, get a note. And I said, why? Just fax uh, Western L. They ain't got my... Oh, we can access that mm-hmm. now, and that's a fact too. All right, so it's a, a lot, a lot to digest for me uh, and the listeners. Oh, it's a lot I, to digest, but you for you, you, for me, I, they wouldn't build me ramp. They wouldn't give me nothing. They wouldn't do nothing for me. But I'm still going. I'm not going to stop. No, no. Well, good for you to have the determination. And uh, I, I unfortunately have to stop. We're we're coming up on a on a news break, but yeah, appreciate. Yeah, I understand that. But appreciate you can the call today. Impacts on Purdue for me. 
Okay. You can check it. It's, I will. it's all over the news. So. Okay. All right. Thank okay. you for the call. I appreciate your time. And tell right. uh, your producer, dear, if I find out that information he asked me, I'll call him back. Uh, okay, I will do that. Um, okay. Appreciate the call today, Don. All right, Maggie Burton, if you don't mind, we're getting pretty close to news, so we'll go there in a moment. Again, welcome. Don does make a, an interesting point. I mean, there's so many other crises. We've almost forgotten about the opioid fentanyl crisis. I mean, yes, governments are working on it, but as you heard from Dr. Weber, as you heard from Don, these things aren't, you know, whether it's alcohol, opioids, these are all contributing to the challenges in the healthcare system. And uh, again, there's no savior. There's no one fix here, but we've got to find ways to do things better and more effectively. Try and ask again, Dr. Fury, about this uh, later this morning when uh, when I speak to him. That's what they've been talking about in Victoria. See if there's any new news on all of that. But now time for our VOCM news here uh, on VOCM. Saturday morning, join us for the Irish Newfoundland Show. Send your request to irishnl at vocm.com or submit them online at vocm.com. Welcome back to Open Line. Now pleased to be joined by Councillor Maggie Burton, who is the lead for Transportation and Regulatory Services. Uh, so that means parking downtown. Maggie, how are you? Good morning, Tim. How are you? Good. I think actually last time I talked to you were, was last fall and you, you were running. Uh, you won. How, well, before you get into that, how, how's the council experience been so far? Oh, you know, uh, same old, same old, as they say, same uh, same stuff, different day, you know. <laughs> Lots of parking fun. Uh, yeah, it's, it's, it's an enjoyable experience for sure. Well, good for you. Good for you again for putting your hand up. Great to have uh, new voices and new new thinking uh, in any municipal government. Now, on parking, i got to tell you, Maggie, I heard this, oh, geez, I don't know when. Maybe it was er- earlier in the winter, and it was even before the pedestrian mall was up, but it was my wise mother who said, I don't know what they're going to do to downtown shops when they put up that pedestrian mall because I can't park down there, and that's stopping older people like me from going to, to, to shop at some of those stores because they have to work walk farther and that's harder to do and then i understand there's different uh, parking guidelines for around water street and duck Street. can you first of all let's deal with the pedestrian mall have you heard a lot of i've heard a lot of praise for it but uh, have you heard equally complaints or concerns about limited parking when the mall is open and and how that's Im- impacting the stores and the businesses there and if so how have you tried to deal with that yeah, I mean, um, each year we hear from people, so far this is third year doing the pedestrian mall, and um, this year I've been hearing from people, you know, who, uh, especially in the nighttime, uh, who dislike having to walk a little bit further to their vehicle, for example. So, you know, we, we take those concerns seriously, and, um, you know, we made some changes to the parking down there this uh, this year, and there's been a really clear public service announcement put out that I'll reshare after this on my social media if anyone wants to look at it about where you can park. But basically, there are lots of places still downtown to park your car. Now, I see, I, I'm looking at this map uh, that was, was put out uh, earlier this year, and I see the yellow on Duckworth Street uh, that says on-street parking. I see the numbers that show me free parking, and then there's paid parking garages. How did you determine to, to make certain areas free and, and have different payment, different uh, methods for charging parking in the other areas? Well, I mean... For starters, I know that pay by phone can be frustrating for a lot of people. Oh, it's awful, Maggie. (laughs) 
and we are we are working uh, on getting the rest of the kiosks in the downtown. So hopefully that'll be done by this year or next year. So getting all those um, physical kiosks there to replace all the meat, the meters that were taken out because of vandalism, of course, and theft and all that kind of stuff. But um, for now, you can you can access the pay stations throughout the downtown. Um, but you got to look at signage when you're parking to make sure that you know what the parking rules of the area that you're in. That's the main thing. So if you pull over to a spot, you know, double check around you. If there's a kiosk, you can go pay at that. If you're in the pay-by-phone area and you don't mind using that, then great. But if you also, there are um, free parking spots throughout the downtown as well. Um, and a lot of those are just outside of the main commerce area. So, you know, when you work retail, you rely on parking turnover to get um, to get people in and out of your store. So outside of the pedestrian mall, we try to make sure that paid parking is in place, um, like when the, not when the pedestrian mall is going on, but in front of stuff, shops and water and duckworth, for example, to make sure that there's turnover for, for people coming to shop. But yeah, if you want to do free parking right now and not worry about the kiosks and stuff like that, um, and you go down in the evenings, for example, all day on the weekends or after 5 p.m. on weekdays, you go, you know, corner of Holloway and Duckworth or corner of Prescott and Duckworth, you know, some of those corner lots mm-hmm. and behind the Blue Drop building, there's over, uh, what is it there, about 120 spots there as well as 140 spots in the City Hall parking garage. So if you really, really hate trying to figure out the uh, the paid parking areas, you can you can try to scope out and plan your trip accordingly or take the bus down. There's three routes that go down there um, all throughout the day and uh, Route 3, 10, and 11, you know, they, they service a pedestrian mall um, very frequently. We'll get to the buses in a second because I understand ridership yep. is up and you got a meeting about that next week. But I, other than the vandalism, uh, what uh, perpetrated the change to the, the phone-based part, the, the, the using the phone to, uh, to secure your parking? Yeah, so we had we expanded pay by phone again to get that turnover in um, in paid parking in front of businesses where we couldn't get the kiosks put in. Um, so we are working with the vendor to fix those issues, and like I said, hopefully we'll have that addressed this year. Um, and eventually, like we were aware that pay by phone is not um, not the preferred thing for most people. So yeah, we want to get those kiosks put out everywhere according to our paid parking management strategy that we brought in a few years ago. The kiosks are much better, I can tell you. Somebody has great frustration with pay-by-phone as well, (laughs) trying to take the picture of the barcode and everything that goes forward and whoever the supplier is. But I don't live in in St. John, so you don't care about me. I'm not a taxpayer. My mom. My mom. I don't care about you, Tim. (laughs) All right. Thanks, Maggie. Now, on Metrobus, ridership, as I said, is is up. That probably is a very good thing. Uh, I've been asked to ask you, what does that mean in terms of schedules? Will there be schedule changes? to accommodate this increase in, in ridership? I mean, I sure hope so. Um, I'm going to, my, my plan right now is to push to to uh, act the summer schedule, as it were. So right now, every year in the summer, we reduce our schedule um, to accommodate the lower ridership after Memorial students or Kona students, you know, after the post-secondary students are mostly gone for the summer. Traditionally, our ridership has dropped, but we're seeing the complete reversal of that trend right now and that our ridership is higher than ever, even with the uh, the campuses out for the regular semester. So we had 300,000 riders in June. If we can keep that up and if we can keep improving service, we'll, we'll have a more sustainable transportation system for the city. Yeah, and what do you attribute that to? I mean, it's not just people can't park, and I know Newfoundlanders always, you know, they can save a few bucks, they will save a few bucks, but uh, <laughs> why are people riding the bus more? 
I mean, there's quite a few factors. Obviously, it's hard to pin it down, but I think that improving the service of the bus, making it come more frequently. We got that zip network underway, for example. Mm-hmm. So, if, you know, you can get service in the peak hours for uh, every 15 minutes on the main route. But um, that's one factor. And, you know, we've made the bus free for kids under 12, which allows more families to ride the bus. We've made uh, improvements with our provincial partners on the low-income bus pass program and seniors accessing the bus. So there's more people on it, right? But we also have tourists in town who can't get a rental car and need to get around. Or we have um, people who are just really concerned about the environment and want to take the bus. And we call those the users by choice as opposed Mm -hmm. to users by necessity. So those users by choice are increasing because, yeah, some people just want to uh, leave their car at home. And also, you know, like in my my case, for example, if I need to go to the hospital for an appointment, there's no way I'm driving. I'm getting the bus every single time. <laughs> well, I, I'm so, very familiar with the parking nightmares at, at our hospitals, yes. <laughs> yeah. So, so anyway. tell me, the, just just before I let you go, because you may or may not be aware, and I'm sure more municipalities will become aware of this, but uh, we're on the eve of municipal elections here in Ontario. And in Ottawa, you know Ottawa, you probably know Mayor Watson, many of the councillors. One of the, the debates that started heading into the election, it won't be decided obviously by the, by the outgoing council, but the new council, is whether all transit ridership on the, um, on the uh, Ottawa bus services, OC Transpo, as it's called here, will be free or not. And it's a very heated debate. Uh, some arguing we have to get with it, that it's good for the environment and it's saved costs. Others arguing, well, you're going to download the tax. It's going to cost every property owner, property taxpayer, $500 more per year uh, to, to pay for all of this. Interesting you tell me that 12 and unders are free on the Metro bus. Do you ever see a day? Do you see that debate coming? Or is it even possible to consider something like that, given what the reaction might be from taxpayers in the city? Um, I mean, so to start, like every transit system in Canada, North America, and the world, you know, we they don't exist to generate revenue. Revenue, but, correct. Um, so that's not, that's off the table anyway. So then it's just deciding, you know, who do we want to provide the service for free to? Who, and like already it's a highly subsidized way for people to get around the city. So, you know, there's, there's lots of things to balance for me. I'm focused more on um, network improvements. So again, making mm-hmm. the buses go more frequently. And I want more of the conventional transit buses to be fully accessible. So like we need money to put into that system in order to improve it. So I don't think right now is, uh, unless we get a lot of uh, help from other levels of government or something, we we need to focus on improving the service before we can make it universally free, I think. Mm-hmm. But it would be great if transit was free for everybody. <laughs> that would be wonderful. Yeah, and it would be interesting to see if it actually changed driving patterns, as many argue that it would, because the allure of free and the fact, well, it's not free if you're a property taxpayer because you're paying for it anyway. So do you use that service and park your car accessibility? So many elements to it. Great to have you on today, Maggie. I'll, I'll tell my mother she can park in Lot 7 and walk down the hill, and then I'll tell her to call you when she uh, lines me with a, a series of expletives, okay? Yeah, no problem. Oh, I also I did want to mention that the, the accessible parking spots are there downtown, like near the pedestrian mall. So if you are looking for an accessible spot, this is a concern I've heard. Like, where do I park? There are 20 spots on street and 36 within parking garages in the mall area. So just check out the website. And I'll, I'll like I said, I'll put it in my socials after this. But if you need an accessible place to park, there's lots there. All right. Good to talk to you. Thank you, Maggie.
Thanks, Tim. Bye. All right. That was Councillor Maggie Burton, City of St. John's, uh, who oversees transportation parking in the city. Time for a break here on Open Line. Back with more of your calls after that. Well, we are going to bring in now an expert from Jane's and Noseworthy's. David Buckingham, CPA, CA, CIRP, Licensed Insolvents Trustee. Uh, good to have you on the program, Dave. I hope you know, I never have to call you because I'm insolvent, but uh, good to have you on today. How are you? Uh, hi, Tim. I'm great. How are you? Thanks for having me. Uh, I'm good. Look, maybe you can help people understand, um, Dave, today as we heard the Bank of Canada announcement yesterday, highest uh, increase uh, since 1998. We're hearing stories today about food prices increasing. We're hearing stories about gas prices increasing. I mean, it's tough for people out there. You're, you're dealing with businesses and individuals who, who deal with this. Let's start with the, the, the interest rate increase. What does that mean and, or could it mean to people in real terms? I guess in real terms, you look at it a couple of ways, uh, Tim. If you're in a, I guess, a variable mortgage right now, mm-hmm. then you're feeling the impact today. So if you're someone who's got a $200,000 mortgage um, and, you know, all of a sudden you're looking as of today, your payments probably just went up $150, $175 per month exponentially that out to someone who's got a $500,000 mortgage and, you know, you can run the numbers and you're looking at an extra, you know, three to $400 per month in your minimum payments, um, you know, to keep you in the same lifestyle that you're in now. And, and that's, a, that's a big chunk of change. Um, but, you, you know, you, you mirror that on top of someone who's carrying a line of credit that has a variable interest rate on it and all of a sudden that payment's gone up. Um, and the big hit might be yet to come, um, you know, for people who are in a fixed mortgage, you know, and they're sitting, you know, you know, really nice now with their, you know, 2% interest rate. Um, and, and most people, I guess, my age group and below, you know, your, 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 you know, early 40s and below don't remember a time uh, when the standard mortgage rate was, you know, 5, 6, 7%. Um, we're used to a lifetime of buying a house where the mortgage rate was, you know, 1, 2, 3%. Um, and, you know, if you're renewing in the next couple of years, you've got to prepare that, um, you know, you're going to have a, a much bigger payment, you know, to keep the same house you're in today. Yeah, and it's interesting about the line of credit because it was pretty common, though I don't think the tools exist to the same degree, but HELOCs, home equity line of credit. There, Some banks have a version of that today, others don't. But a lot of people, when they buy a house, do it on a line of credit as well. So they have the mortgage, they have the line of credit, then they use the line of credit to buy things for the house. Uh, I mean, as you say, it can be cascading. What is it going to do potentially to credit card rates, another tool people use frequently to purchase things? Well, most credit card rates... Uh... Um, you know, are generally much higher than you're getting with your standard loans. You're in the you know, 19, 18, 21% type of rate. Um, I, I don't foresee those, you know, increasing too much. They're already fairly fairly high. The issue that you're going to have is that um, a lot of times when people get themselves, you know, in, in a financial pinch, they'll look to potentially remortgage uh, their home. Um, and if you're looking at that, that remortgage rate is now going to go up. Um, if you're looking at the, um, you know, the secondary lending market, market uh, outside of your traditional banks who already have high interest rates, those rates are likely to go up. 
Um, and the other impact is that, you know, people can only afford to pay so much per month for their mortgage. Um, so, you know, mm-hmm. you're, you're likely to see a downward pressure on the, on the value and the price of homes um, as interest rates go up. Um, and in that situation, those people who have those, uh, you know, step mortgages that, they, that a lot of banks have today where you build in a, you know, a mortgage along with a line of credit, along with a credit card that are all attached to your home, well, as the value of your home goes down, the ability to, to you know, to take that secondary mortgage or to renegotiate um, a mortgage on your home, the, the money you have available goes down as well. So, right? exactly, money of, and, and this is part of what the 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 logic of the tool is though too that you won't use that money to spend the money you won't you use that money and spend it to buy something you'll that'll slow buying down which apparently will address inflation or at least that's how historically it may have worked before we get into the logic of the tool uh that uh, governor macklin's employed and its past success which has been zero uh over uh, a 60-year period when we're trying to get these soft landings what would you counsel a person now who's coming to you and saying, look, I'm, I'm on the, I, I could buy a house now. Should I buy now? Should I be worried about inflation getting higher? Should I take the risk? Should I wait that the, the Bank of Canada will get this under control? For people who are in that situation, and there's a lot of them. I mean, we know there's housing shortages, uh, particularly, as you say, uh, uh, people just underneath us in their 30s who want to buy homes can't find them because they're already uh, overpriced uh, in many different markets. What's the advice you would give to a prospective buyer now about what would be a go or a no-go on whether you should buy? Um, well, I guess the first thing I do is come back to the basics is to make sure you've got that budget in place. Um, I guess and financial literacy is a really big topic in Canada nowadays, um, you know, ensuring, you know, the, the next generation is aware of how it works. Um, you know, credit cards have taken a lot of that away because you don't pay with cash anymore. Um, I know when I give my kids $5 to go to the store, it's a lot harder for them to buy something <laughs> if they're just tapping my credit card. Yeah. So that's the really big thing. So go back to the basics of having that budget. And the biggest thing is to, you know, ensure you're buying a house that's within your means. Because if you're buying that house that's within your means, you know, an increase in interest rate, yes, it's going to hurt, but it shouldn't put you on the other side of it. But, you know, we just, you know, VOCM had out not, not too long ago on their website, you know, 25% of Canadians are, you know, going to be on the verge of requiring to sell their home with another increase in interest rates. And we just saw the largest increase in more than two decades, uh, single increase rate. Um, and if you look at it over the last six to eight months, you know, we've got 200 basis points increase in, uh, in interest in Canada. So, so that's going to hurt people. But the biggest thing is to make sure that you're, you're within your budget um, so that you can handle any extra payments that come out. Because if you're buying a home today based on the interest rate that you had um, and you're already close to being maxed out, well, there's no other way for it to go unless you've got some way of supplementing your income. Well, and, and we've seen also uh, you may not have too many other options because there aren't a hell of a lot of apartment spaces available. Well, and, that's, and that's the other thing, that this increase in the interest rate, yes, is going to impact the homeowner um, and the individual who's got the line of credit, uh, but it's also going to impact um, rent costs on a monthly basis now because the individuals that own those homes, uh, well, their mortgage just went up on those homes as well. Um, you're going to increase your cost of, of living, is which is already, you know, kind of at record heights here uh, in Canada, especially in Newfoundland, the cost of food, the cost of gas. 
Um, well, any increase uh, in interest is only going to likely uh, go up with that. So you look at you know a, a bank now who's guaranteeing a, a GIC over a four-year period at you know four and a half five percent interest, whereas you know four years ago they were guaranteeing one and a half percent interest. Well, if the bank's guaranteeing uh, your investment at four and a half five percent, they're going to have to find some way to make that money back on the other end. Uh, indeed, they are. Maybe about time to buy. Is it time to buy some GICs, though? I mean, it's, you still can get more than six or seven on the market. Anyway, we won't get into we won't get into make, asking you to advise on that. No, Neither that's one not of us my expertise wa- at all, Tim. No, none of us wants to get sued. Look, before I let you go, and in a hope that we don't put the audience to sleep by using the phrase monetary policy, what what is Governor Macklin trying to do? So, what he has argued, he is doing. Why we've had this uh, increase that we haven't had. In 20 years, he says is to slow down spending, to bring us to a so-called soft landing. Can you just explain to the listeners what his thinking is and and, and historically how this has played out? Well, I guess his thinking in general is that um, you know he's trying to curb the, you know the, the reckless spending um, and trying to help uh, inflation somewhat uh, come down. And you know, realistically, as we spoke before, people only have a certain amount of money that they can spend. Um, and if the interest rate goes up on your, I guess, your larger purchases, be that a vehicle um, or a house, you've got less other. Um, you know, money to spend on a daily basis. Uh, but the, the big thing is, you know, really to, to look at that budget because if interest rates go up, if you just continue to use credit, um, you know, to supplement that on a monthly basis, um, at the end of the day, you're going to end up in a place where you're, you're likely going to have to be to be speaking with someone like myself to go through your options mm-hmm. um, and see if there's some way out there uh, that we can help you with. Uh, great way of explaining it because uh, I think people just the average person turns off when they hear monetary policy and uh, and though it is exceedingly important what he is doing and what he does does have an impact on what you pay it still can be difficult to understand and understand why he's going down that path anything else you want to add Dave in terms of oh, as people are thinking about how what they spend money on and, and what they do what they ought to put front and center before I let you go well I guess the biggest thing um, that I, I like to point today is, is to make sure it, if you feel like you're, I guess, teetering on the edge of potentially having to look at, at an insolvency, be that a bankruptcy or a proposal, um, or really just to get some financial advice to, to make sure you reach out to a licensed insolvency mm-hmm. trustee. Um, there are a lot of, you know, so-called experts out there on the internet uh, that say they can help you, but, but you know, as long as you see that, you know, the licensed insolvency trustee logo, you know you're dealing with someone like myself who's uh, licensed with the federal government to be able to help you. Um, and I, I, I guess I'd stress to do it, uh, to have that the conversation before it's too late, um, because a trustee can, can help you down the path of, of determining what your options are. Um, and, and if you wait too long and, you know, your, your, your wages are garnished or your, your car has been repoed or your bank's been, uh, uh, been uh, frozen, uh, you don't have a whole lot of options left at that point in time. Okay. Appreciate your time. David Buckingham, licensed insolvency trustee with Janes and Nosery. Thank you, David. Uh, thank you, Tim. And I'd just also like to say that if anyone's out there anonymously, they could always look at our website, uh, nodebtnl.ca. Uh, they can go in and take our survey um, to you know, give them an idea where they might be uh, financially, um, and they can go from there.
Okay, perfect. All right, uh, some very helpful advice and guidance. Uh, have a listen. I know a lot of people are concerned about their fiscal, uh, financial, personal circumstances right now, and uh, Dave had some good things to offer up there. All right, we're going to take a break on Open Line. We're going to come back to Margot Cranford quickly after the break. But first, I want to wish happy birthday to a huge Open Line fan, Addison Clement on her sixth birthday. Way to go, Addison. Happy sixth birthday. They're the same age as my little boy. I know six is a great age. I hope you have a great day, and thank you for listening to the show. That makes us all very happy. So with Addison's birthday on on and done, let's all celebrate, and let's go to a break here on VOCM's Open Line. Join Brian Medor weekdays at noon for a comprehensive update on news from every corner on all levels, newsmakers, weather, and more. Join us on your VOCM at noon. Welcome back to Open Line. A reminder, you get me on Twitter at PowersTim or through the email openline at VOCM.com. I did get a following a conversation with Maggie just before I go to Margot Cranford. Uh, Maggie Burton, the counselor, when we talked about uh, the pedestrian mall and parking, uh, somebody on Twitter pointing out that his sister, who um, is, is disabled, can enjoy the pedestrian mall because it's difficult for her to find a place to park and then you then be able to get herself over to that spot. So uh, I, I know it is not as accessible as it could be to uh, to everyone. And if you have issues, concerns, want to share stories, give us a ring. Margot Cranford wants to share a story, I think. You want to talk about a volunteer firefighter, do you, Margot? Tim, good morning to you. Good morning. Nice to talk to you. Thank you very much. Yes, I'm calling to uh, throw a bouquet and to publicly thank a gentleman, Norm Jarrett. Okay. Now, what happened was yesterday, July 13th, my grandson, Nick, went out to Shag Rock Manor to bring his great nan, Rita Cranford, out to lunch. And that was at Brown's Restaurant in Whiteway. Okay. While dining there, Rita began choking on her food. So coincidentally, Norm Jarrett, the volunteer firefighter for the Cavendish Whiteway area, stopped by to pick up his lunch order and immediately performed the Heimlich maneuver, bringing Rita back to safety. The paramedics checked her out and her BP and vitals were fine and they cleared her so she was okay. And my husband Gary spoke with Norm later that morning to thank him and he told Gary that it was his first time performing the Heimlich in really? his 38 years as volunteer firefighter. Isn't Ama- that amazing? It's amazing, and it's amazing how the training kicked in. How is how is sure. uh, how is Mrs. Cranford, the other Mrs. Cranford, doing today? Re- <laughs> Thank you. Rita is fine. Actually, she's listening to the show. I'd listen to what I have to say. But we are so grateful to Norm, and also many thanks to Brown staff who were great, and the ambulance staff. But we are so indebted, honest to goodness. Uh, this man, and talk about angels walking among us, eh? I mean, there's so many of these volunteer firefighters are just unsung heroes. They're volunteers. They don't. I mean, they get a little bit of a tax benefit, but they don't. Right. They don't do it because they get a tax benefit. Sure. They do it because yeah. they care care yeah. about their communities. And not unlike full time firefighters, because they're still right. professional firefighters. They yeah. just they just act. Uh, how blessed yeah. are you? That's awesome. Oh, so very blessed. And each one of us in the family is. You know, we're we're so grateful. So to Norm Jarrett, the volunteer firefighter for 38 years, the Cavendish Whiteway area, you are so fortunate to have this gentleman. And to everyone who is involved, we want to thank out many, many bouquets. And thank you for allowing me to tell the little story. 
Uh, that's fantastic. And you're always welcome to do that. Well, hopefully you don't have to tell the story again. Hopefully nobody ever Please chokes not, yeah. again. Absolutely. But uh, great, yeah. great to have you on today, Marco. Thank you. Thank you, Tim. Bye now. All right. Bye now. Yeah, that look, uh, I've done some work before uh, with uh, volunteer firefighters. We were involved in helping them get uh, properly recognized for their service through a tax credit accreditation system. They are just amazing people. Norm Jarrett, all of his peers, they do amazing stuff. Now we're going to talk to uh, Gordon Evans. He is on the line. Gordon, you uh, with uh, St. John's Outside Workers Local 569. What's on your mind today? Today. Good morning, Tim. Thanks for taking my call. No problem, sir. Uh, I'm going to give a little brief update on where we're to with bargaining. Seeing the mayor made a reference there a couple of days ago that we were in tax. Mm-hmm. Uh, first of all, I want to clear something up, Tim. Uh, sure. I heard this secondhand. I don't know if it's accurate, but there was a gentleman who called your line, I think twice in the last two weeks, who referenced the salaries that the city workers make. And uh, he threw out a figure, I think, of 115,000. I don't know if you can verify that or not. Uh, he hasn't. That to the that may have been with Patty. I don't recall having that conversation with anybody. But anyway, go ahead. I'm sure if you said it, it happened. Okay. Anyway, I was told from a reliable source. But like I said, I didn't hear it firsthand. But this, the figure was threw out. There's roughly 1,200 employees working the city, and he threw out that the average city worker makes 115,000. Mm-hmm. I don't represent the 1,200 workers. I represent the 569 outside workers. There's about 400 of us, men and women. Okay. And just to clear the water on that one before I move on, he overshot yes. the runway by about $50,000 on our salaries. <laughs> so You wish you made 115000 Okay. Exactly. Anyway, like I said, if that is accurate, if he threw that out, I just wanted to clear it up. Okay. I can't discuss the salaries of anybody else. I'm just no, no, discussing that's... the outside workers, right? Okay. Go ahead. All right, just to move on. Uh, I was listening to both sides of the Mount Pearl Labor dispute yesterday on your show there, and my heart goes out to the kids in the summer programs and the residents and the Mount Pearl strikers. I got three grandkids of my own, and they're all in summer programs, and we're having a heck of a summer. It breaks your heart to see that they can't enjoy it. But it takes two sides of the bargain. And that's, that's enough about Mount Pearl. Now I'm going to move on to St. John's. Do you, just looking at it and having some experience with it, I mean, do you think they can get back? You heard them. Uh, they're, they're, they're both, as they acknowledge, they're both very emotional, but they both said we do need to get back to the table. you think this can be solved based on what you're hearing and uh, both publicly and otherwise before the summer is out and kids can get these programs back? Uh, there's going to have to be some flex there, Tim. I mean, two of them seems to be dug in, but, you know, I'm always optimistic. I've been in bargaining myself. I've been in five rounds of bargaining. I'm a union activist 20 years. I'm a 30-year man with the city of St. John's. But sometimes stuff goes stale, and then overnight it can change. But, yeah. you know, they, they got to sit down. That's the only way to get a deal done. That's the bottom line, right? No kidding. All right, go ahead, Gord. you got a couple minutes before i got to go to break. Go ahead. All right, I'll take you to the St. John's where we're to. Uh, we bargained for about a month, and we made a half a dozen proposals each. We were back and forth, back and forth. And like I said, I've been at the table many times, some good and some bad. But anyway, I thought this one was going pretty good. But after six proposals, the city decided to walk away and file for conciliation. So just to make it clear, when you're, you file conciliation, your initial talks are after, are after breaking down. So a conciliator who's appointed by the government, we have one appointed on Tuesday, July 12th, just two days ago. So now we're waiting on dates. And as I text our QP rep, we're ready and available, ready to go. 
So what happens, and this is where Mount Pearl is doing, I hope it don't get to that, but when talks break down, if the conciliation, the conciliator can't work out a deal, they try to smoothen it out and find out what you're willing to give on on both sides. If that actually breaks down, then a report is filed with the government. And 15 days after that, you're into the legal strike or the lockout position for either side of the parties. You know, the city can lock us out or we can take a strike vote. Okay. But having said that, like, I'm quite optimistic. It seemed like it was going good, but, you know, the city decided to whack away. I, I don't know why. I mean, I thought we were pretty close to a deal. But basically, Tim, I just wanted to update the, the taxpayers of St. John's because, you know, I'm sure there's lots of rumors going around where everybody is into bargaining and everybody is frustrated and everybody hates to lose a little bit of summer that we do get here in Newfoundland. So anyway, that's just a, a brief update for the taxpayers of St. John's, Tim. And, and just, just quickly to state the obvious, so if, if, if outside workers were not working, what services would be lost? Well, as was told to us, we just came through Snowmageddon. You know, we worked our butts off and we just came through COVID and everything. And we were told by senior management, we're the guys, you cannot work from home. We're the guys you see in the streets every day, you know. Doing all the road work, making thing, making sure that all the city's maintenance is done, the roads are plowed, all of that, correct? Exactly. It's your water and soil work. It's, you know, your line painting on the roads. It's maintaining your parks. It's, you know, it's pretty well everywhere you see a, a city work out, you're doing the hands-on stuff. That obviously you cannot do from home. So, so as the word says, you are the people who are outside doing the labor, doing all of that work. That's so people exactly. understand. Okay. Exactly. We're the face and eyes of the city. Okay. All right. Well, I appreciate the update, Gord. I know we'll be watching this. Uh, I'm sure everybody in St. John's who uh, was enjoying services in St. John's and looking at Mount Pearl uh, is pleased to get an update, and hopefully you and the city can find a resolution soon enough to move this forward. Thanks for the update today. Thanks for your time, Tim. Have a great day. Okay. That was uh, right. go- that was Gord Evans, who represents the outside workers at the city of St. John's for the city of St. John's. Time now for a break on Open Line. Back with more of your calls after that. Welcome back to Open Line. I'm going to talk with Brian Madour in a second, just about a little bit of hockey. But I, I'm, I'm heartbroken today, people. Come on. We've had Take Your Crap to Tim Day, where we've talked about sewage for the last two days and some good conversations about the struggles people are having with their sewage. The whole world seems like a sewage pool at the moment, given all the strife we're having. So you've got some crap you want to talk about. I'm your guy. But now we're going to talk a little bit of hockey and not the Hockey Canada story as that just continues to evolve, but a little bit of free agency. Brian, are you there? Indeed, Tim. How are you? I am good. Let's start where I am today. I can't even tell you about the enthusiasm and bu- that's bubbling over in Ottawa. They've almost gone delusional here, Brian, thinking it's almost Maple Leaf-like delusions because, of course, Claude Giroux, from formerly of the Pliers, then the Panthers, has signed here for three years. Former, uh, He is an Ottawa resident, played for the Hull Olympic. Uh, they got Debrinkin from the New York Rangers. They shed Matt Murray to Toronto. They got Cam Talbot in that. They've got, you know, all these young stars here, including Dwayne Norris's son, Josh. What do you make of all the Senators' moves, Brian? I think they're a much stronger team right now than they were a week or two ago. Um, They've got a powerful front nine. I don't yeah. know. There, not a lot of teams are pro- are going to be more explosive than Ottawa offensively. They've they've got it all right there. 
their problem right now is going to be on the back end and possibly in goaltending. I'm not sure about Cam Talbot. He's kind of in the twilight of a career here. Um, he hasn't really, he did have a couple of good seasons, yes, indeed, but he hasn't really performed up to that level of, you know, that uh, top goaltender, top 10 or 12 goaltenders in the league. I, up to this point anyway. So I see possible weakness there and on the back end, but they've really got it up front. And I mean, the top nine are as good uh, as a lot of teams that are in the playoffs. And let's not forget uh, Drew, uh, Drake Batherson, who's also yep. got roots in uh, in Port of Basque. Um, and, of course, the Senators just brought in um, Wade Redden call it with, to help uh, coach Thomas Shabbat and some others. Yeah, if we turn into Toronto here and lose our minds, uh, that will be disappointing. Let's quickly go to Toronto before I let you go. Tell us about they got rid of Campbell. Uh, no other major signings that I've seen, uh, not, per se. Not really. Uh, I'm, I'm still kind of shaking my head about the goaltending situation. Situation. I'm not sure if they're in a better position right now than they were last year. I, I, I just don't see it. Uh, Samsonov from uh, Washington, he was yanked in a lot of games. His goaltending, the uh, goals against average was just over three. So that's kind of high in this day and age. Uh, Matt Murray, yep, yeah, he may, uh, you know, uh, get them to where they wish to go. And we're face it Toronto has enough firepower they're going to outscore the opposition in the regular season most times we know that but the crunch comes once they get into the postseason things are totally different everything tightens up and you just can't score at will in the playoffs like you can in the regular season against you know uh, some of those lower echelon teams so uh, I, I don't know if they've improved their lot in goaltending I think they just might have well kept Jack uh, Jake Campbell for five million a year what he signed with uh, for uh, with Edmonton Last two quick questions for you. Johnny Hockey has Ooh. left Calgary. What is that going to – he's gone to Columbus or Carolina? Columbus. Um, Columbus. We're not sure. We, uh, we just can't make heads or tails out of that because, number one, he left uh, quite a few million dollars on the table in Calgary. Calgary is a bona fide uh, cup mm-hmm. threat. Columbus, I don't know if they're even a playoff team this coming season. They may squeak in, but uh, they're no cup threat by any means. Uh, it's just a totally different situation why he would leave Calgary. On the other side of the coin, you know, maybe uh, money isn't everything. We don't always see that. Wherever the highest bidder is, whoever that is, that's where these players go. But uh, Johnny Hockey said, no, he's not going to the highest bidder, which, you know, in this case was Calgary. So uh, maybe maybe there's a little bit of good in that. All right. Last one before I let you go get ready for the news. Nick Suzuki, captain of the Canadians. Too much pressure on the kid or not? I, I, I think you have to try him there. Um, I'd say go for it. You know, the captaincy is kind of a different situation. It doesn't necessarily totally distract you, or, or it shouldn't anyway. Uh, but in Montreal, I think every position is a pressure position, whether that's captain, whether that's uh, alternate, whether uh, it's just simply a defense. Stick boy in Montreal. You're <laughs> oh, yeah. Big time. <laughs> All right. Well, good to have you pop on, talk a little bit of hockey. You'll be back with the news. Thanks, Brian. Right, you are, Tim. 
All right, that was Brian Medor, a little hockey talk. As they say, they're buzzing here in Ottawa. Lots of Newfoundland connections, Josh Norris, uh, Drake Batherson, two great young men that do a lot here in the community. Now, speaking of the community, we're going to talk to Sarah on line one. Sarah, you want to talk about homelessness in St. John's? And i got to say, this is the first time I've done guest hosting uh, ever and had so many calls about homelessness. What's your perspective? I would leave uh, reading the story about the couple in St. John's in a tent on the mm-hmm. soccer field. Yeah. Um, I don't understand what's wrong with the people in St. John's or the government. They can help everybody else, but they can't help our own people. They help the uh, people from Afghanistan, Ukraine, which I'm glad they do, and I'd like to help them too. Now, I don't understand. If they were in Cornerbrook, they wouldn't be living in a tent. Yeah, it's a really strange story, isn't it? I saw that, and first of all, I don't know how you can pitch a tent on quasi-public space in the city. I, I, I guess you can because they've been doing it and nobody's taken it down. Because if you take it down, where are you going to send these people? I, I mean, what would you... You mentioned the government. You mentioned um, the welcoming of, of, of Ukrainian uh, refugees. What would you like to see them do? And, and that's the first question I have for you. Well, I'd like for them to help the pe- our own people first. Mm-hmm. Charity begins at home. Mm-hmm. And even and though they got a dog, I got a dog and I had her for 15 years. I wouldn't give up my dog for anybody. Yeah, I like that part of the story. Eh? It's amazing how important your uh, your your animal. I'm talking to you right now. My cat just knocked over all of her treats on the on the side, and I wouldn't give her up for the world either. And the commitment they're showing to their their dog is is quite amazing. I mean, what are you hearing more about homelessness, or is it just me? It seems to be more prominent in in the city and around the province. It's terrible. It's terrible. I mean, even the gathering place are trying to help people, and I, I donate money to them lots of times from Corner Brook, even though I'm not in St. John's. I wish more people would help our own. I'm getting letters every day from all over the world asking for donations to this and that and everything. You wouldn't believe it, my son. But why can't I help my own? And, and what is it like in Cornerbrook? Are you, are you seeing, whether they be seniors or others, who are struggling to, to stay in their housing, to find housing? Well, I'm in my own home. Good I'm 91 you. years old, but I still got compassion for people that got no home. And if they were living in Cornerbrook, I wouldn't leave, let them live in the tent. Yeah. Uh, and, and again, to your point, and who knows what the circumstances of individuals are, but one of the great things that's happened about the Ukrainians who are starting to resettle in Newfoundland and Labrador and in Canada is people are opening their homes to them. And I, I don't know, maybe the homes have been open to the, the family that is uh, in the, the tent right now by the, the soccer field. We don't know that, but uh, if it hasn't been, maybe somebody wants to offer. Who knows? Anything else you want to add before we uh, go to the news here well if i could help them i would be glad and i'm certainly going to send in something to the telegram to help them people all right barbara, well, barbara sweet is the lady i'm going to send in a donation to them i know it won't get them a house but it'll get them something well, that's very kind of you, uh, kind of you, Sarah, and, and good of you to raise this issue. And uh, if that couple are, th- are calling and uh, they uh, are, sorry, are listening and they would like to call, uh, we're happy to talk to them and see if we can be of some uh, assistance. Thanks for the call today, Sarah. What does it say in the Bible about it? 
do we'll unto do others. Others, others as you would do unto yourself. You put me on the spot there, but I did remember that one. Do unto others as you want them to do unto you. And exactly. that's what I believe. All right, Sarah. Thank you very much. You're welcome. Thank you. Now, just before we go back to Brian, for news, breaking news, Health Canada approves first COVID-19 vaccination for youngest kids. Uh, Health Canada, according to the Toronto Star, has approved Moderna's COVID-19 vaccination vaccine excuse me, for infants and preschoolers, making it the first vaccine of its kind approved for that age group in the country. No doubt our news team will be following that. And if you're a parent who now will have the opportunity to have uh, your uh, your infants and preschoolers vaccinated. What do you think about that news? Here's the real news, though. Time for a break here on VOCM. Back after Brian finishes his newscast. Weekday mornings from 530 to 9. Jumpstart your day with Jerry Lynn Mackey and Ben Murphy. Newsmakers, traffic, weather, and more during your VOCM morning show. Well, let's talk about a story that's got some attention in the province uh, for uh, for a number of reasons. This uh, just recently, former Chief Justice Derek Rowe was a uh, Derek Green, excuse me. Uh, Chief Justice Derek Green was appointed to undertake an independent review of the citizens' reps' report into alleged harassment and bullying in the Chief Electoral Office. Chief Electoral Officer Bruce Chalk was suspended with pay pending the outcome of the review. Justice Green's review will consist of an analysis of the report based on the evidence and findings will not be a reinvestigation. Justice Green will provide recommendations as to whether or not any actions uh, uh, taken are appropriate and whether any further investigation is required. Uh, the citizens rep report into allegations of harassment and bullying at the chief electoral office or office first came to light when questions about its existence were raised in the House of Assembly months after it in May, months after it had, had it had been submitted to the Speaker's office. So to give some perspective on all of this, to talk about the appointment of uh, Chief Justice Green, former Chief Justice Green, we have the current Minister of Justice and Minister of Public Safety, John Hogan. John, how are you? I'm great. Tell me why Justice Chief Justice Green uh, has been chosen to do this review. Yeah, so actually, Tim, I think you did a pretty good job of summarizing where we are with all this right now. As you said, uh, the report, the Elections Newfoundland and Labrador reports uh, by the Citizens Rep is being reviewed by the Chief Justice, former Chief Justice Derek Green. Uh, and he was retained by the Management Commission. So that's kind of one of the things I wanted to talk about this morning. There's a lot of moving parts, a lot of players in this. So i just take a minute to try and sort of walk through the process here so the public can know, you know, House Management Commission is a nonpartisan um, entity of the House of Assembly, and uh, they will then take the report from Chief Justice Green, who will make a recommendation to the Management Commission, who then may make a make that same recommendation to Cabinet, and if Cabinet agrees or disagrees or wants to make a decision, ultimately it will go to the House of Assembly for a vote. So that's how that process works. But, you know, what I did want to sort of go into a little bit again this morning was what I saw some media reports this morning where the leader of the opposition said that government did not act immediately on this report, which he should know is not true. And I just want to make sure the public knows that that's not true either, because, in fact, what happened was the report was referred to cabinet from the speaker's office. And within 24 hours, cabinet met and referred the management or referred that report to the management commission, which is where all parties said it should be uh, where all along everyone agreed it should be. So government certainly acted as soon as it could. There are processes in place, there's legislation, there's rules, and government can't reach into those rules or around them and, and manipulate them or change them or anything like that. We need to act within the processes that exist, and that's what government did, and it did it very quickly. 
The, so just just yep. let me stop you there, so we sure. can so we can get to this clarity. So this argument that the the report was sitting somewhere for a period of months mm-hmm. is that accurate? And if it was sitting somewhere, it was you're arguing it was sitting with the management commission, not nope, with you. No, nope. it was sitting. Me. If it was sitting anywhere, it was sitting in the speaker's office. And you know, maybe okay. sitting is not the right word because I'm sure he was doing an analysis on it, and his okay. staff were doing analysis on it. If you look at the legislation, the speaker then has the option to send this report or a report like this to various entities. Could be to the finance minister, it could be to the auditor general, the attorney general. In this case, he decided it was appropriate to send it to cabinet. Once cabinet had that report, very next day it was sent to management commission because it was a statutory officer who was in question, and everyone agreed, all parties agreed that the management commission, as a nonpartisan body of the House of Assembly, should look at uh, human resources related issues regarding the statutory officer. So government acted very, very quickly on that. Okay, so, but, but just so I properly yeah. understand, so regardless of, so the speaker had it for this period of time for whatever reason. It Correct. did not move from the Speaker uh, until it actually got to the Cabinet Office. So whoever had it, yep. it, will, it was in the hands of the Speaker. All right, keep That's going. Correct. Yep. Uh, and so then, uh, you know, what I did here this morning was that, again, the, member, the leader of the opposition said that he hopes all aspects of this report, you know, the, uh, the Citizens' Rep report, will be reviewed. And that's another thing that doesn't seem to be talked about much uh, as we talk about the elections Newfoundland and Labrador report and the Office of the Citizens' Rep is that uh, there was an allegation made as well, and it came to me as Attorney General, um, mm-hmm. that there was concerns that this was being talked about publicly while the report was in the Speaker's office and it hadn't been released publicly. So it was it's troubling to know that um, you know it was it was out in the media, it was out in the public, and this is another matter that Management Commission has as well. And this has been referred to uh, Ann Chafe, who's the former head of the Public Service Commission, to look into these allegations. So not only will the report be reviewed, but the you know the, the context around the report and how it became public will be reviewed. Um, and you know we need to ask those questions, and those questions need to be looked at. And certainly, you know, there was quotes from the leader of the opposition saying he was 100% sure that this report exists. So how did he know it existed? When did he know it existed? Uh, What did he know about the report? How much did they know? How much did his office know? And when did they know it? You know, government was certainly transparent and acting very quickly. Uh, I think the opposition should do the same and be transparent about how they knew about the existence of the report and when they knew about the existence of the report. And and that's important for everyone in in the province to be aware of the situation, not only of the report, but the context about how it existed and what people knew about it and when they knew about it. All all that's valid and and, and important to get that information. But I suspect more pressing is if you're an employee of the, the office of the chief chief electoral officer and you're in that office and again you may know what the allegations are you can't mm-hmm. speak to them if you do I don't know what they are but I assume they're concerning enough that the Bruce Chalk has been put on leave pending a mm-hmm. final review of all this what do you say to those employees who no doubt are feeling anxious or feeling tense who are uncertain what it means for their workplace so to say to them now you know I would say proper employment uh, legal employment matters have been followed here, a legal process. He's been suspended with pay pending the review from Chief Justice Green. And that independent office, that statutory office, is being looked into further. I would say the same thing about the other office of the Citizens Rep, that that office will potentially be looked at as well by Ann Chafe. 
all these offices are independent. They're very important. They help uh, society function, but they need to be functioning properly. And as a government, we need to make sure that they're all functioning properly. So these reports and reviews into them are very important. And we look forward to, to finding out what, um, like, for example, Chief Justice Green has to say about it and what Ann Chafe has to say about it. Speaking of Chief Justice Green, of course, his integrity is not in question. He's been mm-hmm. well regarded in Newfoundland and Labrador for his for his work over many, many years. But I, again, layman's explanation here, John, you come from the legal world. You are now the attorney general and the justice minister. When a person like Justice Green comes in to review a report and he's not actually going to begin a new investigation, what is your what is it you're hoping or sorry, the, the commission is hoping he will be able to do? Because as I read it, he's just going to read the report and look at the other material that may have come with it. So how does that help address the allegations and what future outcomes may be? Yeah, again, so, I mean, you did say it, right? It is, he was retained by the Management Commission, so you have to specifically ask Management Commission about what their what their thinking was behind the terms of reference in retaining Chief Justice Green. But what I hope and what I assume will come from it is a, a sober review of that report uh, to look at it, to look at you know what evidence was collected and who said what and when it was said, um, how that investigation was done, and for Chief Justice Green then to, to comment on the validity, uh, the strength or weaknesses in that report. And the Management Commission can take that from Chief Justice Green and make a decision on, on what to do next. Okay. Uh, Leave it there. Thank you for adding uh, clarity uh, to this. Always appreciate your time, Minister of Justice, Attorney General, and Minister of Public Safety, John Hogan. Thank you. Thanks. Have a good one. Time now for a break on Open Line. Back with more of your calls after that. Welcome back to Open Line. A reminder, you get me on Twitter at PowersTim or through the email, openline at vocm.com. We're going to go to Gerald. Gerald, do you want to talk about um, uh, disability moose license? Tell us about that. Well, the problem that I have... And I guess there's a lot of people in Newfoundland who got this same problem. The rules for uh, a disabled person is that they have to be have someone else to get the uh, get the moose for them, but they have to be a minimum uh, uh, of 800 meters, which is approximately a mile and half a mile. Now, how can I, of a person? who cannot walk, and I uh, cannot sit in a car for any length of time at all because I have other problems too. So I got a problem that I just wonder why I cannot just have a person who's going to take my license and is able to go in the woods and get it for me. So what what has happened in the past, Gerald, in your circumstances? What am I saying? Well, I I used to hunt and fish for a long time, but now I am I'm disabled. I'm not able to, uh, I walk around the house with a walking cane or with a walker or in a, a wheelchair. So for me to sit in the car for any listen time, I am not going to be able to do that because of other reasons. Okay. Okay, I'm not going to go into them now. No, no, of course. But okay, I just wouldn't be able to do that, eh? And I wonder, why is it that if I just had a person, like it was all the time, 
and what and what without having to go make I sorry me a little bit there I got tangled up because okay. I've had a mini scrape at one time and I'd get tangled up sometime and please excuse me but anyway so what the problem is that I can't get in a in a vehicle for any length of time and uh, and uh, not I I don't have to see the person, but they changed that rule a year or two years ago. Now, now they got you sitting down in the car, or I suppose that's what the and the person got to go in the woods, and you you will never you can't see them, and uh, got to be uh, half a mile, and uh, it uh, don't make much sense to me. Yeah, yeah. I'm just looking at the guidelines as you as you talk uh, through them. I, I assume the concern is that there will be people who are not as honest in you and as as you and will get a, a a license based on a disability and simply give somebody else their license, and that person will uh, take the the moose that is shot and use it for their own purposes. Uh, but that that's me spec speculating. What would work better for you? Simply giving the person person the ability to use your license and as you say you're not wasting your time sitting in a car while they're off hunting for the moose which could take hours yes uh, you know that makes sense you know if it just uh, i'll give you an example you, a, a charity can go and get one uh, hunter and if they get a license and that young uh, the, the the hunter can go in the woods and don't have to be anywhere at all. Don't make no difference. I guess there may be a certain area, but I don't know about that. But uh, but they don't have to have someone so far away from from the hunter. Don't make any sense. And have you talked? That I Go got ahead. to be able to be eight hundred meters minimum, and uh, I can't even get out of the car. I can't even sit in the car for very long because mm -hmm. of your impairments. Yeah. Yes, it is a it is a bit of a, a problem. Yes, for me and probably other people. Well, I imagine it is a problem for other people. And have you talked to anybody in the government about it? Have you talked to any any uh, any officials who have been able to give you any clarity as to why, or suggested if there are exemptions to this? Well, I did phone the wildlife people, and of course they can only tell me exactly what is in the law and that's all, well I know that myself but uh, no I never went to any uh, legislative body or anything like that no or I'm a member or anything like that yeah hadn't come to that yet you might want to might want to try that and how long have you been moose hunting I'm guessing listening to you this has been something you've done your whole life it's an important my, part of who you are able to hunt and salmon fish and all that for a long, long time, I've been hunting on, in Winnipeg after geese and stuff like that and ducks, and and I've been hunting a long time since I was old enough to have a gun and to have a license. Well, right it's clear... 
Yeah, it's it's clearly clearly very frustrating. Uh, happy to talk to anybody from from uh, wildlife, uh, the minister responsible, who might be able to give uh, some clarity here. I, I, I guess the question I would ask is: Were you aware of other people who were taking advantage of getting a disability license and perhaps giving that license to somebody else just to get moose for them? And there was I'm maybe sure some kind that of- there might be. I, I don't know that. I, 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 at last time that I had a license, I was able to sit in the car for about three hours or something before uh, I had a walkie-talkie with the fellow. And uh, this was after the, uh, they, changed the, the, they changed the license so that you could not be able to, uh, you got to be able to see the person at all times. Now, that was stupid, but they changed that and changed it now to the way that it is. You don't have to keep, I, you can't see the person. All right. Yes, well, we'll we will, uh, yeah, and it's, how would you, I mean, if your hunter's trying to get a moose, one assumes the hunter's not going to be too open from 800 meters away, even if you're sitting in a car, because it's not like, no. you're, I mean, how would you even see through the woods? I mean, or even a baron, I mean, the, whatever. It, it does seem odd. All right, got to leave it uh, there, Gerald. Thank you. If I get we get any inform- information, we will share it with you. Very good. I thank you very much. You're welcome. All right, I'm going to go to Juan Flores just before we go to our 11:30ish break. Juan, you're in Carbonear. You want to call about seabird identification? Tell me what's going on. Uh, yeah, yes. Hello. Um, I have not had the pleasure of uh, calling in and speaking with you specifically. I have called uh, several times previously. Um, yeah, you're from North Carolina, I, I, I hear. I've got cousins in Raleigh, Durham, and used to have them on White Mountain, North Carolina. So know your, know the, know your state well. Oh, okay, great. Um, my wife uh, is from Carbonair, and uh, we met uh, in North Carolina. And um, we have a, uh, her dream home now on the south side here uh, in Carbonair. And... Um, I was just curious. Uh, we have a large number of crows, of course, but a large number of seagulls. And, uh, you know, I see them, um, you know, breadcrumbs, uh, whatever. And we have had one who I would call as a regular visitor. Mm-hmm. And uh, it's a seagull. And the seagull is banded. There is a uh, silver band on one leg and then there's a yellow band on the other leg and the seagull comes so close that I've actually uh, memorized most of the digits uh, on that yellow band <laughs> and and uh, it's you know it's just curious uh, what, well I mean uh, it's my curiosity getting the better of me was wondering um, you know what agency would would be responsible for this type of research and I didn't know if they were interested in um uh, you know, help from the public or like comments when, you know, when one of their banded, um, uh, in this case, seagulls, uh, shows up at their house. 
I was wondering if the ro- the roaming seagull, the roaming seagull. Yeah, uh, I I think there's probably two places we can direct you, and uh, uh, one is to Dr. Montevecchi at the university at Memorial University, who does a lot of work uh, just generally on marine birds, and may or may not be involved on in a research project here. Uh, he's at Memorial University, so his name's Dr. Bill Montevecchi. Um, Dave can give you his phone number afterwards. The other is okay. the the Canadian Parks and Wilderness Society, Newfoundland and Labrador. They might also be able, CPAWS as they're called, uh, they might also be able to, to help you out. That uh, the, they, at least if they don't know directly, they probably would know who would know. So try either of those groups, uh, that individual and that group out. Dave will give you that information. And uh, interesting call. I wonder what they are researching with the, the tag seagull. Who knows? I know they have, know how to poop, and I know how that, they know how to get food out of the ocean. <laughs> God knows they know how to do a lot of other things. All right, Juan, appreciate the call on the stray seagull. Thank you. Okay. Thank you so much. Have a good day. You too. Take care. There you go. Stray seagulls, stray tag seagulls. Now, they do fit on the sewage side. My God, they poop something fierce. The mess they have made on cars. Anyway, time for a break. Time to go to Brian Medor for some news here at VOCM. Every Saturday is perfect for a night at the cabin. The Cabin Party with Brian O'Connell. Saturday night starting at 7 p.m. on VOCM. Just before I go to Margaret Tucker, and we had her on earlier, and we're going to go right to her in a second, just two, two very quick things. Uh, being pointed out to me that the management commission that um, uh, Minister Hogan was talking about, yes, indeed, in, in name is an independent body made up of the three parties, but the Liberals do have three members, the PCs two and the NDP one. Uh, and the the chairperson apparently does have the deciding vote, just for clarity purposes. And uh, no, if you're traveling or have people coming over, more news for you. Canada is bringing back mandatory random testing of travelers arriving at our airports. Government now says testing will resume July 19th for fully vaccinated travelers arriving in the Vancouver, Calgary, and Montreal and Toronto airports. This will not be popular uh, with, uh, with the airlines and uh, many domestic travelers who will be challenged by the added burden likely going to come with this. All right, now, Margaret Tucker, how are you, Mrs. Tucker? What What's the update you have for us on uh, on how you're, on how things are going? Okay, I thought I'd call in today and I want to let you know what's happening. Uh, so all I can say is staying strong, staying positive, doing whatever I can do to help, and uh, every day is that's that's the mission, you know. Um, not going further than that. I can't go there. Yeah, it's a nightmare. So or I can't go further. My mind is in one set. Anyway, I just wanted to let you know as of today, well, tomorrow will be one week, and I'm expecting any minute we're going to get a call. He's going to come home. He's going to walk through the door. So in saying that, um, I was talking to uh, the sergeant out in uh, Gander. Uh, we talk all the time. Um, I came in. I had to come in myself, uh, check on my mother, have a, a checkup with my doctor. Slept finally last night for four hours. So, I mean, I need to take Good. care of myself. You need your rest. you got to look yeah. after yourself. Yes, and I had someone with me, and they were helping me for the last number of days because they were familiar with Gander. Um, and um, I had to bring them back because they had to work. So I go out again. I go myself. Um, so I have to be road ready, as the doctor says, and we all know. Not driving, uh, having no sleep is the same as uh, drinking and driving. It's the same thing. It could cause harm to others. Anyway, I called to just let you know that the RCMP is putting out another media release today. 
um, I, I noticed on NTV and I noticed with uh, BOCM and everything that they weren't, I wasn't getting the coverage or seeing the coverage of Brandon. So me being me, I started last night calling and leaving messages. Uh, it goes hand in hand. This mm-hmm. is what I was told with the media release. So um, Staff Sergeant uh, Turner suggests uh, that's being released today. Then that goes hand in hand with the media. So we assume it will come up again because everyone needs to see it so that it's in their forefront of their brain, knowing that, okay, yes, Brandon Tucker is still missing. So we have to be looking. And even though it was in the Gander area, uh, he was last seen getting in a white truck. So obviously he could have made his way into town. That's why I was in St. Philip's last night at 10.30 and every two days since I've been home, checking the area where we once lived. With a flashlight, checking just to see, did he come? Is he staying on the, you know, in the property? Uh, just making sure everything we can do. Go to the corner stores down there, Sharps, bunch of convenience. This is his, you know, they know him. His um, habitat area, yeah. Yeah, because he could have gotten in the truck. He could have came to town. They have exhausted every search. We even had universal helicopters come in. We had a drone from White Hills, which is a thermal drone, which is used at night because uh, they were already using the drones, I guess, that are day. Um, that was sent in immediately, went up the chain. Universal came in. They are they helped. Um, basically, they're exhausting, doing everything imaginable. The RCMP is amazing. They are so forthcoming. I have calls in the day. I call them. Uh, not calling them constantly, though, because they're busy. Uh, they're doing everything imaginable with the ground search. But right now, like you told me, they're exhausted. The men need their break, which I understand completely. They've exhausted the whole Gander area and then opened the grid out. Um, everything from contacting Port of Bass to have a release on the uh, records uh, and also the video, you know, as they would have cameras in their terminals. Uh, that was taken care of because when I called, obviously they couldn't do that because I'm not an RCMP officer. Mm-hmm. But uh, my, bri- my brain is going 440 all the time. And uh, to, also, yeah. Can I ask another, you, you go ahead, go you ahead. go ahead. No, There's you go. There's positive thing. There's another positive thing. Um, the day that he went missing on that Friday, I'm not sure the exact time now. My mind is confused. I think it might have been 3.20, I think, was the last time the phone pinged. So they assume it's either turned off or it's not charged. Uh, so all they can do is get the ping from Berger Mobile and Bell. Uh, so I thought that's the only thing we can do. So I've been trying his phone all the time and, you know, uh, whatever I can do, audio, video, whatever. Um so anyway, uh, then my uh, son's partner, Travis, uh, he had contacted me with a message saying that they were now requesting uh, the manufacturer, which is Virgin Mobile, to release, um, to help them more. And I'm thinking, what do you mean? There was more that they could have done. And uh, yes, there's more that they could do. Virgin Mobile's security center was shut, was closed for the weekend. And okay. uh, then they have to wait to literally, because of the Privacy Act, to yep. be given a uh, go-ahead from the judge, like, a, you know, a letter from the judge, uh, because they're not able under the Privacy Act to get those extra information, which would be last phone calls, like who we called, last contact, mm-hmm. and also the GPS coordinates for that last paint. Now, to me, that is amazing, and I was so angry when I heard. I thought, oh, what do you mean? So they could have given you added information. They had to have that GPS on Friday, giving them the exact location, because with a ping, you get within a certain area of that tower. You know that. So we're only now, because the weekend, Virgin didn't have anyone in the security office. 
But as I said to a friend when I was feeling a little angry, I said, yeah, but they can darn well take our money on the weekend. But they didn't have anyone in their security office. And after 30, what is it, 30 years now we have cell phones and all the missing people? This is what the poor RCMP has to go through with red tape, with their hands tied, plus the Privacy Act is there too, which makes no sense. Because if I had a sergeant calling from the RCMP in Gander saying we have a 9-year-old missing or a 29-year-old missing, they should have all of the help available because they're an authority and we have a missing person. And they should not have to have a letter from a judge to let it go further. So we've gone from Friday now, all weekend, now we're now they put that in effect Monday. Like they're doing everything possible they can do. Their hands were tied. And, and, and that frustrates them, too. So today, now they're hoping to hear so that when they get the GPS coordinates, they will have a more exact location. But that's Friday till now. Do you know how that makes me feel? Yeah, it makes you. Know, it's totally frustrating on no, numerous ends. More data yeah. could help track him down easier. With if he's Spurge in his... Mobile, yes. Yeah. And then the judge, I guess they're not available on the weekend. But then, as a friend of mine told me with the RCMP, he told me um, a little while ago when he had called. He was a great help. Everyone is so helpful um he told me the only way that a a, um, a ward can be taken or they can go do the search or whatever or like for instance without the judge um it has to be extreme circumstances called an e-x-i-g-e-n-t exigent i can't pronounce it yeah exigent circumstances yeah right which means if i was in my house and they thought i was being abused and there was a chance of me being murdered well then they have that they have that direct go we don't have to wait for a judge's order go in do what you have to do. But in this circumstance where he left and he wasn't, at the time, they didn't think he was suicidal or harm to others. And this is why that was an issue. Okay. So you go ahead and speak now. Go ahead. Yeah, I, I was just going to say we have to go in about a minute, but I want you okay. just to give the audience, please, a uh, description of, of Brandon again. So if people are listening, they're driving around and they see him, uh, they might be able to help you. So tell us, uh, I, I have the, the missing person's description in front of me, but I prefer you describe your son, uh, what he looks looks like and uh and if people see him they can call crime stoppers we'll give them that number but you go ahead and describe brandon for the audience yes please. And, and i'm just calling you to tell you uh that's why i'm calling today uh there's no other extra tips there was not everything has been followed that they can follow there's no no other news other than it's you know they've checked everything and he is alive and he will come home but i wanted the audience to know so they can keep an eye out that it's in their memory right and it's been memorized in my head uh basically brandon um is white brown basically blue eyes um he's 511 uh 240 in pounds um he was wearing uh black jeans a dark colored t-shirt he was wearing black runners has a bit of a beard he wears those uh earrings in his ears i can't think of what they're called now they're like almost like a wooden circle okay. um this left my mind now but uh this okay. is his description yeah and if you were to look at him he's a beautiful boy as i said before he reminds you of chris pratt from jurassic park and you're talking a, a you know a tall boy mm-hmm. husky beautiful yep. boy but i I just wanted them to know to keep an eye out because we are praying and every day I'm expecting him to come home and I'm returning to Gander now and uh, we'll be doing the search and everything that I can do and uh, hoping that any minute we're going to get a tip and it's going to be a positive tip and we're going to the GPS is going to be used today I guess later when they get the coordinates and that might help um, okay. so thank you so much for you're, you're welcome and you keep us updated and uh, I'm we will we will give it up we will make sure we keep telling the story of Brand 
and in throughout the day as the uh, as the missing persons uh, bulletin goes up again. Thank yeah. you, Mrs. Tucker. Yes, thank you so much. I appreciate it. And I just have to put it out there again. Everyone that is calling and all the kind support, the RCMP, the Rovers, the Search and Rescue, Universal, everyone that's helping are amazing. And the RCMP are understaffed, and they're doing their best from detachment to detachment. I could not ask for better support, and they're amazing. They're going way way above what I guess I feel, that they're doing everything possible. And I even reached out to Premier Fury and uh, to see if there's something they could do. And I had a call from Fred Hutton and offering me support and everything and whatever they could do, they will do. So that's how far I've gone with my Good for you. You're a mom. You're a mom searching for her son, and I think all the mothers and fathers out here we can we can relate to it. We'll keep yes. we'll keep look we'll we'll keep on it for you too, Mrs. Tucker. Thank you very much. Good Thank luck. You so much. Thank you, my love. Okay, bye. Uh, again, a very impassioned plea from Margaret Tucker. Uh, the, the Brandon's description she gave you, uh, we will make sure it's available to you. Um, and if you can help, please do. Let's bring Brandon home. Time for a break here on uh, Open Line. When we come back, Amanda and Jesse, last two calls of the day after this. Welcome back to Open Line. Just a few more minutes, and I'd ask both of my next callers to uh, be mindful. I'll probably only give you a couple of minutes each. So let's go to uh, where am I going? Amanda, you want to talk about the disability moose hunting program. Welcome to the show. Hi, I uh, just wanted to make a comment there. I was sure. listening to the, the gentleman earlier. And I just wanted to mention that my husband's dad also applies mm-hmm. for the disability license. He's a cardiac patient. Okay. So, um, yeah, so when they go to hunt, when he receives a successful license, of course, he has the documentation from the doctor and stuff, or you can't get one without that, of course. Um, it's just very difficult for him, right? You, you go in there and you have to be within 800 meters, as the other gentleman had said, and uh, very, very difficult. It's almost like you're being micromanaged because mm-hmm. of the rules in place. So, and I understand that people are afraid people may be dishonest, but at the end of the day, they can only give out so many disabled licenses. And if people have gone through the trouble to see their doctor, to do the application, to get the doctor's note or whatever they have to do, um, I think it's unfair for them. Like he, he's not well, but he loves to be able to, to mm-hmm. hunt that moose or to, to get that moose meat. It's really something they look forward to. So they're kind of being penalized in a way because of the way the system is set up. And, it, it, uh, it seems just so. I was only going to interrupt you very briefly. I mean, yeah. it just seems so bizarre. This eight hundred meter distance. Like, it, it assumes yeah, you can do this. It's almost like they assume you're going to Costco and you're just going to watch and wait. I mean, that's not how you hunt yeah. moose. Anyway, yeah. go ahead. Yeah, yeah so eight hundred meters when you're hunting is not far. However, for the person who's disabled, it is a very far distance mm-hmm. for them. So, so there's two bad things there. The person who's hunting is very limited. They're on a leash there of 800 meters. And the person who has to accompany them to a certain extent, um, that's way too far for them, right? So my point of it is, is if people are dishonest, um, I, I would think, be that as it, as it may, if you have 100 disabled licenses to give out, I'm assuming that uh, 90 of those will be done honestly. Yeah. And I think the, the 90 of those that are done honestly, they should be treated in a, in a far better way when it comes to the way it works. 
Uh, I agree with you. Well said. Uh, maybe we can try and get somebody on tomorrow to explain the rationale behind this. But I, I like you, side on the idea that it's probably uh, a deterrent to stop the cheating and abuse of the system. But you, you've outlined it so well. Anybody who's going through the hoops of getting doctor's notes and doing all of that yeah, is putting a yeah. lot of effort in to do it because, as you said of your father-in-law, I believe it was, it matters so yeah. much to him just for his own overall well-being the moose creates that opportunity for him to find some kind of normal some kind of outlet that yep. uh, that he needs when he doesn't have many others all right yep thank you amanda thank gotta you. move on i appreciate okay. your input thank you thank you for your time Bye-bye. okay yeah if anybody else out there knows or if somebody from uh, from the department wants to call i mean help i better if you don't define it it's going to get defined as a stupid rule so if it's a good rule tell us why it is and why it matters happy to take your call last call of the day going to now jesse wilkins uh shea heights you want to talk about the folk fest and an update on the walsh memorial go ahead jesse well, just uh, I want to get to let everybody know that uh, our Shea Heights Folk Festival is going ahead this weekend. Uh, we have our start tonight at 8 p.m. with a, a live comedy show with Lisa Baker and uh, John Sheehan at, at our community center. Um, okay. Tickets still available at the door for that. And, How much? Um, How much? you got to tell uh, people what they cost these days. <laughs> $30 to, for entrance, and that covers everything when you come in, and for both for both comedians, and that starts at 8 p.m. tonight. Okay. And then tomorrow, it's uh, Friday, we have... Uh, our children's children's karaoke in our field and then after that we'll have a candlelight vigil for the people that we've lost in our community in the last couple of years as you know we have you know unable to have a folk fest for the last few years because of covid so we're really looking forward to having a good turnout this year and then saturday afternoon we have our you know bouncy castles and dunk tanks for our kids in our community and also the live music from uh, the people in our community that are going to entertain us for the day you know i got trauma around bouncy castles because they remind (laughs) me of the people that were here in uh, january and february stirring the pot in ottawa but that's not the bouncy castle you have (laughs) all right you got about a minute jesse tell me about the walsh memorial okay well um Regarding the Folk Fest Sunday night, we're going to finish it off with a fireworks. Okay, yes. okay so Perfect. for the Walsh Memorial, I don't know if you're familiar with it or not. I, I, I called Open Line, and uh, you guys helped me out with some fundraising back about a year ago. Okay. We raised our, our target in six weeks. That's excellent. Family. Yeah, just, just under $7,000 was our target, and six weeks we had it done. And now we're working with family memorials, and it's going to be erected, I would say, within the next month or so. I just want to give everybody an update on it. So the funding is raising is all done. It's with family memorials, and they're working hard to get it erected for us. And we're going to have a, a large ceremony there for the unveiling. So, Well, it sounds uh, like a great uh, weekend in uh, up on Shea Heights, and it uh, sounds like you've done great work with the uh, with the memorial. And uh, I, I imagine, i just quickly say this, the fireworks from the vantage point of Shea Heights must be pretty cool because you, you have that elevation and you get an even better view than, say, the base of the harbor. Yes, well, we'd like to invite everybody, you know, not just the residents from Shea Heights. For our, we've reduced our beer prices in our beer tent for all day Saturday uh, because we want to bring our community together and we want to welcome anybody and everybody that wants to come and join us. So, And same thing with the fireworks. Come on, and, you know, and if you can't make it, well, then they can, they can see it from looking over Shea Heights from the city. All right, perfect. Thanks for the call, Jesse, and I hope you have a good turnout this weekend. 
Oh, thanks for putting me on. I appreciate it. All right. Uh, there you go. If you get a chance, go up to the Shea Heights Folk Festival. As I see the views with the fireworks, it must be awesome. Just to close up things a little bit today, we were hoping to get the premier. Um, schedule conflicts. He's still moving his way back east. He's out west. Uh, he just did a news conference, as you heard on the, the news. We are hoping to get him tomorrow. We'll put many of the questions that have come to us this week to him, particularly on doctors and the medical system, emergency rooms, you name it. We'll ask him about it tomorrow. Uh, lots of great calls. We'll do some digging into the Moose Disability License. As I say, if there's somebody out there who uh, from the department who wants to give some clarity to this weird 800 meters, we're here. And, of course, to my Bill Belichick, and I'm no Tom Brady. Uh, Dave Williams is the star, gets me through all of this. Another great show. Great to talk to you all. Look forward to tomorrow. For now, I'm Tim Powers. That's VOCM's Open Line.